0: Welcome to the 50th episode of the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. I'm your host, Jason Dubray. Uh, For this episode, uh, it's been months in the making. Uh, We have six movies that we're going to be reviewing. Five movies are going to be leaving my movie shelf, and I have five guests. So each uh, guest had two movies to watch and had 20 points to work with. I had 20 points, and then we compare, and a movie would be eliminated. Then we have another segment with another guest up until uh, the point when I only have one movie left. The guests, uh, regulars on the show, I appreciate their time and um, especially kind of going back months when uh, the early uh, segments re- were uh, recorded here. But uh, regular guest Kurt Fitzpatrick, Tom Ratzlaff, Kelsey Moser, Carmelita Valdez McCoy, and uh, Rankin Review host. Larry Parsons all participate in uh, this uh, once again epic show and you know each of these segments we end up reviewing Abel Ferreira's The Addiction, Scott Cooper's Antlers, Callie Curie's The Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood, Dennis Hopper's The Hot Spot*, Darren Aronofsky's Mother, and Alfred Hitchcock's Strangers on a Train. Uh, there are some spoilers and some coarse language in this show. I uh, appreciate all of the listeners over the first 50 episodes of the show. Now that a few of these big episodes have been released, I am hoping to release uh, more regular episodes uh, throughout this year. So more to come on that front, but I certainly hope you enjoy the 50th episode of the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. Well, it wouldn't be a 50th episode of the Shelf Shedding Movie Show if I didn't have... uh... One of my favorite guests who has done several shows along the way here, Kurt Fitzpatrick of uh, A Lifetime of Hallmark, among many other things. Uh, thank you so much, and thank you for being part of this uh, experimental show or uh, two reviews, so maybe less of a time commitment than the normal I six mean, that we do. Yeah.
1: Now, you say these kind things, but wait till they hear the movies you maybe watch. I <laughs> well, well... <laughs> Haven't I been through enough? No. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we had we, we, we had two well they weren't exactly similar movies, but we we, we actually went through a few for the second movie the f- the first one we're gonna review is the divine secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood, which was not the original one we were looking at, but we were also looking at what movies are accessible uh <laughs> they, yeah because of where you live where I live I can't lend you uh discs or you know that kind of thing yeah. Which, could do well, with, that's uh, true you know kind of based on uh initially kind of based on the uh, the guest and then what pairs well i'm not sure that these two pair well i'm what i'm saying is we're gonna be looking at two southern stories that's as similar as they get they both take place in the southern united states and and yeah not else in common but yeah yeah divine secrets of the yaya sisterhood and the one that was a uh, all along um 1990s uh The Hotspot, directed by Dennis Hopper here. So, Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood.
2: Oh
3: my God, that's her. Do not pick up the phone. Please don't pick up the phone. Don't answer it, don't. Why risk it? Connor? Connor, don't pick up the phone. Don't.
1: Hello? Hello, Connor.
2: Oh, hello, Vivi, how are you?
1: Well, just lovely, thank you for asking. Is she there?
3: Yeehaw! Yeah, yeah. I am so tired of her tantrums.
0: Essentially, a mother and daughter have not gotten along. And uh, so all of the mother's friends secretly kidnap her uh, playwright daughter somehow from New York to uh, southern town. And then they open up this book, which uh, talks about the Yayas, this group of women and throughout their lives, in an effort, the friend's effort to make the, the daughter understand the mother a lot more. And so then we have the present story, and then a lot of uh, flashbacks, with a, an incredibly talented, cast. I don't yeah. know how talented they are in this movie, but they're talented individually. And uh, I recently reviewed Thelma and Louise, which is uh, I'm an enormous fan of. And this is the same screenwriter, Callie Curie, and she directed it as, as well. And this was based on a pretty uh, I, I popular uh, kind of a bestseller book. From my perspective, this felt like I, I can understand why they looked at this and they felt they had all the pieces for a really good film and maybe a film... With the target audience not being 42-year-old me, uh, but maybe uh, uh, a more 1990s or type of uh, female audience, not to generalize necessarily. So I was trying to keep that in mind while I was watching that this was maybe not something that was designed for me, so any... Uh, criticisms I have, I don't want them to be based on this. Isn't as much my thing. I tend to think anything can be my thing if it's a well-made movie. I just am not quite sure. And the only thing I can kind of piece together, and you feel free to disagree with me in a few moments here, is that Kelly Curry as a director, maybe, maybe part of the issue with the film because you have the actors you have Ellen Bur- Burson one of the great actors of all time Ashley Judd I'll talk a lot more about her in a, in a few moments here Sandra Bullock I'll I'll get your opinion on her it's hit and miss with me for her but with James Garner Maggie Smith I'm not quite sure why she's in this movie but Maggie Smith is in this movie among others so great cast and Academy Award winning screenwriter and this book but I I think maybe Cal Curry is better as a writer than as a director maybe a stronger director could have maybe cut the fat or or help kind of rework some things in the screenplay to make it a bit more effective and then it would be might be a little bit more passable for me so
1: yeah you're i agree about the cast Ellen Burstyn has been uh, a great actress for all these years she's in one of my favorite movies the exorcist mm-hmm. and she's a uh, she's one of the anchors of that movie that's a great that's a great film uh also shirley knight is in the film and that yeah. she's a uh, notable because both her and Ellen burston were, were in the actor's studio so i didn't like this movie i thought it was a socially irresponsible movie with some which was a result of some of the lazy writing because they have it so the the alan burston character when she's in the in the flashbacks where she where she's young, Ashley Judd, like she, I guess she has a nervous breakdown at one point. But they see she's she's on pills at some point. I think yeah. that was one of the issues, or maybe. And in, earlier in the movie, the old the older ladies get Sandra Bullock to, to go down south by by giving her a roofie. Yes, and so I was kind of i was slightly horrified by that first of all it's just it first of all just it's just you know it's 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 offensive right off the bat second of all it's like it's lazy writing like that's how they get her to the south they they roofie her and then the third thing is it just didn't make any sense like what were well, they what were they doing were they just like were they were they uh, just like dragging her to the airport or wheeling. Did they put her in a wheelchair? Did, did it seem a little suspicious when they're going through airport security? I think this was after 9-11. You know, you're just yeah. you're dragging some roofy woman onto an airplane. And her fiancé or boyfriend, he was on board with this. He came and helped yeah, yeah. her out. Yeah, we
0: find out later her fiancé is, yeah, he conspires with the women. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh,
4: yeah. it, you, know, you can't, can't have it
1: both ways. If this is like a Farrelly brothers movie and you're doing that like as a joke. I don't even know if they would get away with this that today, but you know, but they're, they're, they're kind of playing it like, so like they're kind of playing it like, like drunks are kind of funny. And then they're playing it like, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's funny to roofie somebody, but then it's horrible. And then, you, you know, it's, which is just a really, ah, shame on them. And I thought, I thought like when the ladies were all, when all the ladies, they, they were, they were mostly in the the movie as in, like an ensemble. Mm-hmm. And I said, it was kind of annoying. Cause it was sort of like, it was very stagey. Like one would say one thing. And then, I'll say this, and I'll say this. You know, you know what I mean. It seemed like a stage production, like like they were all like hitting their. There was very clear they're hitting their cues. I thought.
0: Yeah, kind of a forced uh, rhythm to it. It didn't feel. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it didn't feel like a, an actual group of people having a conversation. It was more like, this person has a line, this person has a line, this person has a line.
0: And if this was like kind of designed as a screwball comedy or something, I mean, I I, I still don't think a lot of things I, would work, but it, it, yeah. does, it doesn't have that. And there's some serious themes that they yeah. try to interject. I mean, they, they try to be kind of these colorful Southern caricatures. And I think they think they're funnier than they actually are. But then yeah, we are dealing with some really horrible stuff that in the backstory for, for Ellen Bur- Burstyn. I, mean, I, I think we're both going to be pretty negative on this one. My challenge to you in a moment will be something that you found positive about the movie. I, I'm going to go with two. I think the people who do not give up their dignity in this film are James Garner. He has a very thankless role, but he does it in an earnest way. Like I kind of believed his moments more than anybody else while there's some problems with the writing i think ashley judd does her absolute best as the younger ellen burton character with her segments i even to the point of liking that performance and i thought she she belonged in a better movie but yeah that's that's pretty much it and just a mystery to me is is who decided to cast maggie smith as this southern older southern woman and her, yeah. her dialect like maggie smith is never bad but there were points when i thought like she is bad in this movie Instead yeah i was family.
1: i was listening very closely because anytime you see maggie smith you know she's she's just she just is so british she just she just oozes the uk <laughs> and you know yeah. so she's just uh so it, it it was a little strange it was it was a little jarring <laughs> To see her now, she's a southern woman. I thought Ellen. I mean, Ellen Burstyn. She she certainly did the work, and I I, I guess you know, especially. I guess this movie was about twenty years ago, right? It was out?
0: Yeah, exactly twenty. Yeah, it was, I, I yeah. looked at it a moment ago. Two thousand and two. I, I I guess it was an offshoot yes. of the nineties. I think that's why I said nineties. Like it reminds me of some of those films that would come out with a, a female target audience. That uh, yeah, kind of mid nineties into. uh the, the later part but yeah it was a 2002 i i don't know if it was delayed after 9-11 or because that's mm-hmm. a yeah i if they if they had this all together before that and maybe even shot it before 9-11 then maybe you know it, it, the idea is ridiculous no matter what i don't care if it's said in 1962 <laughs> you am not gonna be like dragging somebody from new york city to uh to the south without Somebody asking questions or noticing this, particularly, you know, how old are the women supposed to be? Like about five women in their sixties with the help of some some man. I mean, you know, that just yeah. it, it's never going to
1: work. I, I do, you know, I'm not going to. I know it's hard. I, it was probably even harder 20 years ago. It was harder for it was. It's hard for a movie to come out where the leads are a bunch of older ladies. Unfortunately, it's not. It just it isn't. It isn't a good movie. So I do have admiration for at least that that effort. And I think Ellen, I, I you know, I like I said, Ellen. Bur- and she definitely did the work. She just, I, I, am sure there's a limited amount of roles that big roles that she she can get, especially that you know just because what's available out there. She's not going to get the kind of you know she wasn't even like you know like 20 years ago she wasn't going to get you know the range of stuff like Tom Hanks was going to get or somebody like that or even uh, Sandra Bullock. Bullock was.
0: You know, she was probably in two, three movies a year at this point. A lot of them, in my biased opinion, kind of bad romantic comedies. She's had an interesting, like if you did a bar graph based on my opinion of her career, I really liked her early on. She was wonderful in this movie that nobody remembers called Wrestling, Ernest Hemingway. No, I never saw that. Okay. Her role, Her and Robert Duvall and Richard Harris, delightful movie.
1: Oh, I like that.
0: She had Speed which was a big hit. And I liked While You Were Sleeping. I thought that was kind of the start of things. But then it seemed like everything after that was trying to repeat the While You Were Sleeping formula. And it wasn't really... I mean, she started to try to do some serious... She was in the odd thriller or something like this, kind of a a melodrama. Uh, I had kind of given up on her until I saw uh, one scene in particular in the movie Crash, the Paul Haggis film, where okay. I was like, okay it's she's still in there, there's still hope for her. I'm not a fan of the blind spot. I'm not a fan of the fact that she won an Oscar for the blind spot I, I'm just going to be sticking to that and yeah. as... That was
1: after this, right? It
0: becomes more and more problematic as like, that's almost the blueprint of a white savior film, and I just didn't think she was that was that difficult a role for her honestly. I loved her in Gravity though Oh, yeah. Yeah. also one woman show and so every once in a while there'll be this blip where she's just absolutely brilliant I, I didn't have much time for her in this uh, the writing wasn't great I didn't think she was I was a little bit embarrassed actually for Ellen Burson in this movie I, I don't know I just felt like but you're probably right the the number of roles yeah. that she was offered at that time but this was two years after Requiem for a Dream which is you know considered her best used modern or whatever performance of last 22 mm, yeah. years I guess She'll always remembered for the stuff she did in the 70s. I'm just used to, even if... It it's a bad movie. She's good. Now she's not the worst thing about it, but it seemed like she was forced to play things up a bit. And for somebody who's so committed to the method and, and it is interesting that, you are know, able to cast some people from the actor's studio. Usually, even if the material isn't great, those who come out of the actor's studio give a truthful performance. I thought for sure, if I, I like nobody else, I would like Ellen Burstyn in this movie. And I was struggling there too. I just, James, poor James Garner is just kind of over and they're dealing with their the tension in their marriage and it wasn't the you know we we figure out why that happens before, but I, there's a really good scene James Garner has kind of late in the film with, with Sandra Bullock that I appreciated. So I'll, I'll I'll try to remember those good those good points. I, I did actually want I knew I was going to be very different from the hotspot, but I did go in wanting to enjoy the movie, thinking, oh, you know, okay, I need to see it through the eyes of the target audience as much as I can. But I'm not sure the target audience would like. Maybe they would. I don't know. It just depends. and you think the targeted
1: audience was was what women who. Women because there were very few, age. as yeah. you said,
0: very few roles for for women at the time, and so you yeah. get great ensemble of mostly like a, a female-led story. The protagonist is female, which is still a struggle for Hollywood. And it was yeah. a book that I I think you know there would have been people who read it and enjoyed the book and wanted to see the movie with with this cast. But I I like movies along these lines. Maggie Smith has been in a lot of them, usually British films. Her and, and Helen Mirren and they they will they'll they'll do films like this a lot. And most of them seem to be more successful. Maybe they're not the cutting edge, but you know they are entertaining and and meet the target here. And I just didn't think this one did. Right, we'll move on to its competitor for this round. Hotspot, as I mentioned earlier, directed by Dennis Hopper.
2: Coming in March from Orion Home Video. Welcome to A Vision of Life, as only America's most controversial director, Dennis Hopper, could show it. What the hell is the matter with you, Maddox? You got a grudge
1: against the world or something? Nope. I'm a car salesman.
5: So what you gonna do in our town?
4: Whatever there is to do.
5: There are only two things to do around here. You got a TV? (laughs)
4: Yeah, Mr. Harshaw, he always said that she just sort of happened. Well, the smart thing would have been get the hell out of there and let her happen to somebody else.
1: Yeah. He told me that he knows something about you, something bad.
4: You know, I have got to get that surveillance equipment working. Lucky you wasn't a bank robber. Yeah.
1: What's my batting average always been for staying out of trouble?
4: It's baited with this much tramp. You know you robbed the bank. We know you robbed the bank. That makes it unanimous. Maddox. Don't pay him. Do you understand me? Well, oh, that little gal's got you all stoked up, doesn't she?
2: Said nobody would ever be able to
4: take my place. And you would never be able to leave me. Because that's exactly how I want it
2: god i'll kill you
5: no you won't not now now kiss me
1: the hot spot
0: a neo-noir movie about Don Johnson, basically. He's a drifter, runs into this town, gets a job as a used car salesman, and he finds himself, he sees some criminal opportunities in this town, but he gets mixed up with uh, two women. One is uh, the wife of the owner of the used car dealership, played by Virginia Madsen, an actor I love, and and a young Jennifer Connelly as uh, somebody who also uh, works on the lot and is connected to the financing I believe for for the dealership and she's about uh, 19 years old. Has very different and almost contrasting parallel relationships with these women but it's a noir film so we, we have typically a male protagonist played by Don Johnson. I kind of like Don Johnson and I really like him in this role. I think this was a good role for him but in these You like as, him you said or? I like him yeah I, in general yeah. I like him but I, I really like him in okay. this role. This might be my favorite of his film performances actually but with Don Johnson you know his character thinks he's in control but he doesn't realize how in over his head he is and it's it it is really interesting when things unravel it's a very involved story uh it was based on a novel Dennis Hopper actually took the screenplay that the novelist had written it was I believe Robert Mitchum they were looking at making a version of this in the 60s with Robert Mitchum which didn't happen and so he had a different Screenwriter, but then he discovered the screenplay by the uh, the novelist and brought somebody else in to sort of update it to 1990 when the film came out, as opposed to uh, even though the town has a 1950s quality to it. And, and then they, you know, they made, made the movie. And again, I it wasn't to me a big hit or anything, but it's it's one I really really enjoy. And I just don't know if I'm a sucker for these types of movies, kind of these southwestern, you know these towns where in this case there are some colorful characters for sure but they didn't annoy me and I don't think that they did disservice uh to the film. Is it perfect? No. I have I have my criticisms along the way, but I think it's very entertaining. And if you like this genre of cinema, you're really going to uh enjoy it. I think Dennis Hopper said something that he wanted this to be kind of the the last tango in Paris in the deep south or something like that. I think he he aimed for this to be a very sexual movie and there is a fair amount of nudity in, in it and a couple sex scenes, but I'm not sure it's quite that. But I, yeah, I, I don't. Know. I had a good time. I've, I've watched it a couple times. I listened to a commentary on it. So, Kurt, what you think of the hot spot? Hmm.
1: Well, I guess. Well, I guess you liked it more than I did. But if it, it, hearing you explain it, I think well, it might be the kind of movie that could grow on me. I certainly liked it a lot, lot more than the Yaya Sisterhood. I mean, it was. It, it seemed like it seems it, to me it seems a little David Lynch. And I know it was coming off. Dennis Hopper was coming off of Blue Velvet, probably like. Four Four years later, I guess, but it also had um, Eraserhead was even in the movie. Jack Nance, yes, yeah. So and it, so it sort of had the it, it did have like a to me it had like a David Lynch kind of flavor to it. So obviously, yeah. and I and I saw that before. It had, oh yeah, well, Dennis Hopper was in Blue Velvet, you know, before that.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. I think there are things yeah. that he he was influenced by by Lynch, who was a big part of kind of bringing his career back. in that I believe 1986, when after he had he had had several troubles with you for years and the, the drug. Addiction, all yeah. that, and post-apocalypse. Now, and he was something in five movies that year. But uh, Blue Velvet and Hoosiers were obviously the two that were the most, the most prominent. Yeah. So, I, yeah, maybe that's why, because I'm a Lynch fan, and maybe that's subconsciously why I like this so much. It's funny. Jack Nance, though, is actually one of my problems with it. I, he, I just he was so over the top. He's this yeah. bank manager who likes spending a, a lot of time at the local strip club and talk about an over the top drunk scene i mean there's yeah there's this one where he's i don't know for some reason he's taking the signs from the strip club and and putting them on the signs of the used car lot and it's just at this moment where don johnson's mm-hmm. afraid of being caught in the safari's having having and yeah i i mean the, the ineptness of the guy actually works for
1: kind of the central bank robbery I think i did enjoy it at some level i i don't i'm i'm not a huge i've always kind of wondered about don johnson because he he seems like i mean he never i i I never understood in the 90s he had like a string of movies and these weren't small movies these were you know at at least they were being released by major studios like there were like four or five of these movies in a row and i never understood how this was happening but i don't think i've ever expressed this before but why are these don johnson movies because i don't think they were big hits he was a TV star. He was like, he was really good as a TV star, Miami vice. I never watched Nash bridges, but I, I just, I never, it's, it's weird how show business works. And Don Johnson is, is, is an example of that. Cause he's got to just be in with the right people because he would have movies that wouldn't do well. Projects wouldn't do well. And he's still around to this day. I mean, they put him in knives out. He's in the Keenan sitcom now. I mean, yeah. he's, he's going to be working until he's, until he's, he, he's a hundred. And I don't know. I, love to know, like, what's going on there? He
0: disappeared for a while, and his career was kind of revived by uh, Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino. Robert Rodriguez, I believe, put him in uh, Machete, and then he showed up as a a clan member. I think it was that scene with Jonah Hill in Django Unchained, and that started to get him noticed, and he was in the Watchmen uh, miniseries on HBO. Oh, yeah, he
2: wasn't.
0: He's back, and he's getting regular work and like now this tv work this one makes sense to me because miami vice had just ended and that was a that was a big show in the late 80s and so they thought they had a a a genuine movie star i don't know i think it was hinted at a little bit it wasn't somebody who was involved with with the production. It was more of a, a movie reporter who did the commentary for the the uh, Blu-ray I have of The Hotspot. But I got the impression that Hopper and Johnson actually didn't really get along. Very different ideas about the character and the direction to go. I First time I saw this, I didn't really note that. I didn't see any problem. I, I don't think the role's a stretch. I wasn't like, whoa, he, Don Johnson just disappeared in that role. I just thought for a character actor like him, this mm-hmm. was a role that he was perfect for I guess in the novel he's was supposed to be a much uglier man but it does make sense in 1990s Hollywood that they wanted somebody who was like hot coming off of this TV show and was considered a, you know quite an attractive man and for the you know the sexiness factor that uh, Dennis Hopper was going for what did you think about uh, you know the two other really key performances the two women here Virginia Madsen and Jennifer Connolly
1: yeah I don't think I, I didn't have an issue with them I thought they were they were in, in line with the rest of the movie. I mean, it looked a little odd Jennifer Connelly with with him because there was such a huge age difference, but I guess that was the that was the point of it. I thought, yeah, I thought that was a I don't know if I've seen Virginia Madsen a lot of stuff. I remember she made a comeback in Sideways, like the movie was called, right? And then she kind of faded out again. She was in unless uh, she's in something that I'm not aware of right now. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I am not sure she's been in a lot lately. I you know, that was that looked like it was going to bring her back uh kind of again for uh I, I remember yeah. she was in Cam- Candyman the original oh, yeah. Candyman that's uh, right which I, I thought you know I like that movie a lot and I thought she gave a really good performance in it but yeah I think it's just the like the the cruel nature of which we were just talking about for females in Hollywood that when she got to a certain age she was past being kind of the like this you know the the ingenue types of roles this is in the ingenue phase of her career I guess and there weren't as many roles as she moved into middle age and I think that was part of the piece with Sideways is that she by that point she's Millie woman and there's this the the romance and the connection there with Paul Giamatti but yeah no I I, I think and and Virginia Madsen was uh Hopper really wanted her in the movie I forget she had, she had been in something else that he he saw so he was he was seeking her out and Jennifer Connelly as well I think he he really pursued her as far as as this role I don't know I, I it's between the two I I I, again, I, I like Connolly, but I don't know if it's just you know I I just found her character a little bit more complex, a little bit more a little bit more interesting. That she kind of gives off this very naive school girl vibe, but yet she's caught in this really this blackmail situation. William Sadler, who's again a, another really good actor. I
1: yeah, I like him. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I thought he was maybe a bit much as well yeah he is clearly the villain in the piece and but there isn't a moment where he's like he shows up out of nowhere and is smirking and look what a villain i am i guess that's serving the role well but i i've liked him in other things a little bit more charles martin smith canadian actor is the other not not a very effective uh, car salesman he's kind of there i mean I, I don't think it was a great role for him but I, I think he was another guy like i can't believe i just watched deep cover formerly larry fishburne but lawrence fishburne him and jeff goldblum and he's oh, yeah. in there you know i had reviewed the untouchables in, not quite a while ago but since then i'm like yeah he he was around that time and into the 90s he was he was in a lot of movies and just for some reason i just didn't note that i mean i know he was in a pretty okay. famous x-files episode
1: too so um yeah american graffiti he was in the. A...
0: Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, I'm. I like it
1: more than you do. But it has it? Do you feel like it's grown on you? Like, like, how did you? Is this a movie that you saw years ago? Because I, I had no, not, not seen really. it years ago.
0: No, I heard not... of it years ago, and I wanted yeah. to see it, and I, I just didn't. I don't know if I was maybe initially I was too young to see it because there is a fair amount of pretty graphic nudity in it. But, but then I, I saw it, and it was one of these nostalgia things, kind of a, a blind buy, and I, I watched and I'm like, wow, this, this is really good this is exactly what i hoped it would be and i i had just watched it and then uh and then it came up for the show so then i watched it again and then the commentary and i was like yeah i to me this is a solid movie and i just but i I, again i don't know if it's exactly what people were were wanting or looking for yeah i think you're absolutely right about don johnson i mean he had one bomb after another and i think this maybe started that that trend it wasn't that successful a movie dennis hopper himself he he didn't really have a lot of success as a director in fact he did a movie around this time, or maybe a year after, with Jodie Foster, that he actually wanted the Alan Smithy title on it, and yeah, so he, I, I like, I'm not thinking to myself, When I think of Dennis Hopper, I think of Easy Rider, and. And then a lot of his famous acting work, but not as much of him as a director. And I think he does a nice job of directing this. I think he sort of understands the world of this movie and this town. And it's an actual small town. They filmed it in. And apparently it doesn't look much different than it did during uh, the shooting of the movie, other than the car lot was a set, apparently. So, all right, points time. So, again, I think I know how this is going, but we'll we'll, we'll play it on anyway. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) the divine secrets of the yaya sisterhood
1: all right i have to this is hard because i I didn't because the the hot spot as i said i didn't like it as much as you did. So I have to consider both movies and where I'm going to put my points. I've got to give it five. The remaining Nose 15, 15. Yeah, but I don't...
0: I, I, I hate for this to be a boring segment of this episode, but we are exactly alike. I you know, I gave Oh, really? And okay. I, I actually think it was a generous five to Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood. Yeah, and, I'll tell you if it was... And 15 to the Hotspot, so clearly 30 for Hotspot and 10 for Yaya Sisterhood. So here is the DVD... Uh, i think Ooh. i got it at some sort of a grad sale or something like that with a bunch of others so what would you like me to do with the divine secrets of the yaya ya sisterhood
1: send it to maggie smith with a little note that says i'm sorry for your loss <laughs> of good decisions <laughs>
0: It's gonna be a bunch of work on my part, you know. But
1: <laughs> well, do you want something easier to do? Or
0: well, no, it's it's just I I just saw her last Sunday, of course, so I have to wait another month before I can you know, travel uh, to the UK to you know.
1: All right, so I guess work. you can't really do that. No, so I, I
0: can, can do, do that. that. I, I can do that. I'll send it to. I'm sure she has do that.
1: I'll I guess you could give it. To, you know, give it to. Um, could you give it? <laughs> Jeez, I'm trying to think of something legit. Could you give it to some sort of hospital or assisted living or something like that? Because maybe some older older ladies might enjoy seeing something like that with like other.
0: Good idea if yeah. they're accepting donations. Yeah, I, I've yeah. Had, well, I, on the the history of this show. I've had lots of people suggest donating movies to the library or different things. Uh, and I've called the library; they said they aren't taking anything. So I can check, and if not, have centers. I will, I will I will donate it somewhere. Anyway, this has been great. Thank you so much for uh, coming on and doing this.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Of course, it wouldn't be a 50th episode without the gentleman who I think has been on the most episodes, Tom Ratzlaff. And uh, he's part of a segment I'm calling uh, Don't Talk to Strangers connected to two films. We'll, we'll, we'll see if we both think that they're very good films or if there's a little bit of a difference of opinion here. But we're going to be talking about Alfred Hitchcock's uh, Strangers on a Train from 1951 and uh, The Hot Spot," directed by Dennis Hopper. So uh, I think we're going to talk about Strangers on the train first. So, uh, welcome back. Thanks for uh, doing this segment of the show, Tom. And my essentially, uh, Strangers on the Train.
4: I beg your pardon. Aren't you Guy Haynes? My name is Bruno. Bruno Anthony. Want to hear one of my ideas for a perfect murder? Two fellows meet accidentally. No connection between them at all. Never saw each other before. Each one has somebody that he'd like to get rid of. So... They swap murders. Crisscross. I, I may be old-fashioned, but I thought murder was against the law. You think my theory's OK, Guy? I mean, you like it?
2: Sure, Bruno. Sure.
1: Now, everything didn't go smoothly. She doesn't want the divorce.
0: But you sound so savage, Guy.
1: Sure, I sound savage. I feel savage. I'd like to break her neck. Now, who did
4: you say this is? Bruno, Guy. Bruno Anthony. Don't you remember on the train?
5: Oh, is your name marion
4: right, right
2: here help somebody help guy are you trying to tell me why oh, you maniac but guy you
0: want
1: it.
2: there seems to be no way of diplomatically breaking tragic news
1: it concerns your wife she's been murdered Miriam
4: murdered. She was strangled. You're just as much in it as I am. We planned it on the train. Crisscross. How did
1: you get him to do it? He's a maniac. I met him on the train going to Medcalf. And now a lunatic wants me to kill his father. Bruno, I've decided to do what you want. I
5: still think it'll be wonderful to have a man love you so much and kill for you.
4: Well, then am I correct, Mr. Haynes, in assuming that you have no intention of going ahead with our arrangement? None whatsoever.
5: I don't like to be double-crossed. I have a murder on my conscience,
4: but it's not my murder, Mr.
2: Haynes. It's yours.
4: I'm not going to shoot you, Mr. Haynes.
1: I'll think of something better than that. Much better. You better keep on your toes. Something funny's going on. Guy Haynes is taking chances I've never seen in case.
0: Excuse me, madam. I need your help. We're chasing a man. a tennis star ends up talking to a stranger on a train Hence the title. And this rather unusual, very forceful man kind of finds out that the tennis star has a bit of a problem trying to get a divorce with his wife to be with his senator's daughter. And he has uh, some uh, daddy issues, I guess. And as we discover, he has some uh, mommy issues as well. And he feels that his life would be better if his father was uh, removed. And comes up with this idea that the perfect murder would be two strangers meet on a train and they take care of each other other's problems and what kind of happens here with our uh, tennis star uh, Guy Haynes played by Farley Granger as it says in the credits uh, courtesy of MGM so it tells you that at that time actors were under contract with certain studios and it made an arrangement for him to be part of this the tennis star kind of is I don't know kind of humoring this uh, unusual gentleman uh, spends a lot of time trying to get out of the conversation and doesn't realize how serious this guy is Robert Walker plays Bruno Antony, who, as it turns out, is a very entitled person, comes from a very, very wealthy family, uh, loves his mother, but uh, would like to see his father gone. And he has misinterpreted this conversation into being an agreement that they were going to murder each other's problems. And that's where we go as things get more and more complicated uh, through the story. So I I know that we've talked about Hitchcock before uh, with an even older Hitchcock film that won Best Picture that you didn't like at all and I liked quite a bit more, I am getting the sense that we're going to be maybe in a similar place with this one here because uh, it's not a I wouldn't call it Hitchcock's best, but I've I've always enjoyed this film. I've enjoyed this concept for a thriller. It has been used in some uh, subsequent films where where people meet and I I think it was influential in a way and it looks really good and uh, the performances are strong and Hitchcock filled with all kinds of technical tricks uh, to make this a, a really interesting film visually. So that's where I start with Strangers on the Train. What do you think, Tom? Well,
4: first, I'm, I'm going to start by agreeing with you about a couple of things. One of them, you know, you mentioned the interesting tricks. I believe, didn't Strangers on the Train win the Academy Award for Cinematography? That would have been in the following year, I guess. But It, it,
0: it was but, uh, it was definitely nominated. Yeah, it was nominated. I it didn't win.
4: I don't disagree with that Academy Award nomination either. I mean, uh, there are quite a few things about the film that are positive. As you mentioned, the performances, especially given how, how melodramatic the approaches generally, for the most part, the actors got us past that. Maybe not so much with some of the um, the minor roles, but I think definitely all of the, the principals had pretty strong performances. You have to not condemn them for working in a genre that was given to them. Condemn them if they don't succeed in that, or if they do a crap job of it. I, I don't think they did. And certainly the novelist who wrote Strangers on a Train deserves kudos just for the even if only for the fact that the novel had so much of an influence on so many other stories and films and plays. Definitely the fact that Hitchcock made a movie, I think the first one, wasn't it? The first uh, version of Strangers on a Train. I know there's been at least one sequel, hasn't there? He, He recognized something positive in it and achieved some of that. Where my biggest criticisms come are especially later in the film when everything falls apart in ways that seem like a contrived effort to get to a certain ending rather than something credible. The single biggest moment of disbelief for me was that police officer shooting wildly into the crowd it's such an important moment in the plot and yet it seems so completely unbelievable that a police officer would do that and then it's like the others are rallying around him and saying yeah okay let's go get him rather than you know somebody taking his gun away and saying you will never be in the police force again for such an irresponsible act firing wildly into a crowd gets you thrown in jail if you're not a police officer but I guess according to Hitchcock it's essential for the plot to me that was just such a, an unacceptable moment and so much of what follows depends on that so you know that's that's my single biggest criticism and for me it's when the movie completely falls apart and that's pretty significant when you say it completely falls apart and i can no longer believe anything else that's going on there are other other moments that are questionable as well it's as though hitchcock is just throwing things in to titillate the audience and that will supposedly advance the story but for me at least it doesn't advance the story it makes me pause and say what's going on here i don't quite buy that one of the moments was almost immediately after After Guy punches Bruno, there's this line, you shouldn't have done that. And then suddenly it's like he's helping an old buddy pull himself back together again. Moments like that, really my question. Now, of course, Hitchcock is notorious for having female characters that aren't particularly well developed, and that's true here too. Though Barbara, for example, seems like an exception. She isn't totally evil, even though initially we almost get the feeling that she must be totally evil, but she's not. Similarly, the girlfriend's name is Ruth. She seems like the really naive... The the picture of the girl next door, initially it's like she's just being handed off. She's almost like Nora in a doll's house. She's being handed off from being looked at After by her father to being looked after by her boyfriend but then as the story progresses we do get farther with that so you know congratulations to Hitchcock on not letting that usual cliche rule completely she does have a brain her sister definitely has a brain they figure out what's going on at least partially and that makes them more interesting they become more worthwhile characters But again, so many things that happen in this script, at least, are very much coincidental plot twists that are difficult to believe, dropping the lighter down the storm drain. And then that exaggerated, I think, overly lengthy series of shots of the hand trying to reach down. And at first it can barely reach the ledge that's part way down. But then eventually he manages to reach through that tiny little storm vent. Somehow he manages to get his arm through there. Your arm is thicker up there near the elbow than it is at the hand and the wrist. If he could barely get the hand and the wrist down far enough to touch the lighter on the ledge, it's completely unbelievable believable that he could then push his arm through up onto the thicker part of the arm just below the elbow where the muscle is that he could push down far enough to then grab the lighter you know it's that kind of convenience that really to me things that aren't believable if you think about them even just a little bit and there's one that is completely unbelievable uh, it would have been more believable had those men who came to help him been able to lift the grate and then he could reach the lighter okay i could believe that i could believe that it would take some time for them to find a tool to do it with. But I can't believe that suddenly his arm gets thinner and he reaches down and gets the lighter. And of course, that lighter is crucial to the plot.
0: I I don't know, like... in general, do you like this genre of cinema or or not?
4: Well, it's well done, yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, I mean, just just because it seems like any one of these suspense thrillers, if we actually break things down, and I mean any of them, the best of them to the the weakest, if we're going to be analyzing it to that point, we're going to run into several problems. Yeah, there are things that would be completely unrealistic, obstacles for the characters. I I think, you know, I agree. It would... would have been simpler in some ways to have them lift that storm drain or whatever and then try to get the lighter out that way and would have solved the same problem because one of the things is, it, you know, Bruno has such a head start. So we have to have a, a certain length of time here because all the time in the world for Bruno to get on the train, get to the town, get to this fair and go out to this Lover's Lane Island where all of this, this, uh, murder happened to drop off this uh incriminating evidence what did you think about like the use of that uh affair and and this like the stalking of when he when he discovers who the the wife is and bruno's whole like lead up to the murder what did you think of that sequence
4: clearly suspense is is heightened by it and yes that's that's a necessity in this kind of storytelling the the use of the fair provides kind of means to hide means to get away from somebody one cliche that's sort of avoided is the uh, house of mirrors <laughs> we don't see that which we see in too many others as a vehicle for providing that kind of suspense it certainly works it's uh, it, it's also a way to further delay Bruno getting into the the boat and you know getting to where he wants to go because of course there's so much going on and he's recognized even that by the way is a little questionable isn't it suddenly this guy the, this Carney, <laughs> recognizes him out of the other
0: i'm talking about earlier in the film like when when the murder of the wife happens you're, oh, talking, sorry. About, you're talking about later for sure and you know yeah, spoilers for the movie that there is the, the Carney who runs the, you know, these, these boats going out to the Lover's Lane Island who spots him. And, and so that's the part you're talking about a little bit. And there's this idea that since the murder, it's a really, people are just flocking to go see this place, which I actually believe. And yeah. so he has to wait in this long line. And in, in the meantime, the Carney spots Bruno. Sorry, so yeah, it's, a, it's a way to delay things even more for sure. But when it came to the, the key murderer in the film, though, there was a lot of stuff I liked about that. Sequence one, I just liked, and it felt it felt all Hitchcock to me. And this is what I like about Hitchcock. You might not have liked this at all, but when Bruno bumps into this little boy, and he and the little boy does a like bang bang, like pretends to shoot him, and Bruno is annoyed by this and pops the kid's balloon. I like that moment.
4: You know, it it, it was an opportunity for uh, Bruno to seem more human, but instead he's more the other kind of human. Either way, it's believable. You know,
0: I, I like that bit, and then later on when when he's in the boat like chasing after these these two men who are with and that's part of the whole reason for the divorce is that is that this wife cheats cheats on the tennis player all the time originally we think it's oh just because he wants to go with this other you know the next model or something like that and then we find out no she's a really manipulative person and he's he's following them and they go into the tunnel and there's just an absolute brilliant shot where we see their shadows and we see him creeping up and then yeah. his silhouette seems to cover them and then it cuts to this scream but really it's and we think oh god did the murder happen right there but really no. what it was was just screaming because you're in a dark tunnel as people do at, at things like that. I, I think it's just a beautifully directed sequence there are other touches like there, there were a lot of shots that, that the use of glasses you know and when her glasses. Glasses get knocked down, and we see she gets choked, and we see her being murdered from the perspective of the glasses. I mean, that was not an easy sequence in the '50s to actually make happen. That's where I kind of go like a ambitious choices that Hitchcock would make as a director, uh, and wonderful cinematography at that time. They they distinguished they had a black and white cinematography category and a color. Technical or yeah. category, and it was the black and white category that it, it was nominated for. I'm willing, I guess, to forgive the contrivances of the plot simply because I i just feel that it is this genre will have those problems. I just found it a, a thrilling story, and you know, looking at it in 2022, it doesn't seem that original because it's been copied so many times. I don't know. I'm kind of a sucker for this. And I'm entertained by it. I, I just feel like it's you know, it's not Hitchcock's best, but I would never. Call it a bad film. I, I would recommend it to people.
4: For me, the problem is the last, let's say, the last quarter of the movie, when the vast majority of these things happen in ways that I just can't believe.
0: I like it. I would solely recommend it to people, but uh, I think your thumb would be ultimately down because you were disappointed in what happens in the last half an hour or so of the film. Now we're gonna move on to a movie. I, I think you. You like better The hot Spot*, starring Don yeah, Johnson, yeah. Virginia Madsen, and very young Jennifer Connelly, uh, directed by Dennis Hopper. A very, very smart and talented man. I really like The Hot Spot*. What are your thoughts on it?
4: You know, the first thing I did, uh, this is kind of unusual for me, but the first thing I did was I actually watched a trailer. Oh, and okay. I noted a couple of things that were mentioned in the trailer. One was film noir for the 90s. And I thought, yeah, okay, well, let's see if you can live up to that. But And the other was vision of... Of life. And by the time we were done, I said, yeah, this absolutely is film noir for the 90s, as good as the best of the the classic film noirs, you know, the Maltese falcon, and also a vision of life that maybe I don't necessarily agree with, but I can certainly see evidence of, you know, this being a legit, legitimate view of life, even if it isn't mine. It's really dark. And it's definitely not a happy ending, even though they ride off into the uh, sunset, sort of, figuratively speaking. They drive off. But it isn't the two we expected to be together through most of the film. We had a little chat about this just after I'd watched it. This is the only time I've ever seen it. My initial thoughts as I was watching the first, well, let's say the first 15 or 20 minutes, is definitely they were relying on cliches. And then, of course, as the film progressed, felt more and more respectful, let's use that word, of Hopper for the way in which he just so, sometimes gently and subtly, sometimes obviously, undermines the cliches in ways that don't look like he was trying to undermine the cliché. He was trying to get us to see things superficially and then to look deeper and then to look deeper. So, you know, from that perspective, I think he was highly successful and I never felt manipulated. I felt myself being allowed to see these layers as they come along. And it was a really interesting way of looking at a story that could have been very cliched with characters who might never have gone beyond that cliched view. You know, when you look at it in terms of filmmaking in general and any that might fit into a this genre, using genre broadly, I think is very worthwhile because too often filmmakers just assume oh well we're too stupid to see past that anyway. So they either hit us over the head with it or they don't even go there. They just let us b- believe the superficial rather than seeing the complete story or the complete character or both. I think he does a really great job yeah. of undermining the cliches and showing the truth beneath them and around them.
0: I think there are things that I still, I've watched it a couple times now, where I still need to think about or some some contrivances I guess in the plot which are or some performances which I think are are a little bit too much. But I, I think our main three performances are just, Solid. Some of the other performances go range from good to uh, I don't know if I can buy, but because I'm having such a good time with the story, I'm going like like the plot contrivances you mentioned with strangers on the train. I'm willing to forgive a few things because I'm having a good time with the movie. Uh,
4: there, there are some performances that never get past the cliche. I assume that's some of the issue, uh, and a couple that are just not well acted. They showed up, they prepared for five minutes, they did one take, and at least that's how it feels. There is one scene in which I definitely felt they needed to do more work to prepare, but this might be on on Hopper more than on anybody else. The fire, the questionable questionable depiction of the fire, these burning boards look like one-dimensional, like fence boards, Mm -hmm. burning, flying through the air. I've never seen any film, whether it's news footage, documentary footage, or any of the firefighter movies and TV shows we've all seen. I've never seen that kind of thing happen with the boards flying about here and there while they're flaming. Big beams collapsing, yeah, but boards flying like they're ninjas coming at them, you know. It was almost that bad. That was really difficult to buy. Of course, that's not really, that's trying to make it seem more dangerous. That's not ultimately affecting the story and the characters and how we see it. It's not quite the same as, you know, completely twisting something around or having a character suddenly do something totally out of character. Nothing like that that I can remember but that one scene did stick out for me as being I don't buy this. I've recognized that a person might go into a burning building and rescue another person, but I don't buy how the building is burning around them.
0: The whole sequence, it's an important sequence for establishing Don Johnson his, his alibi. But yeah, would would he be able to just like randomly run into the building and go and save this person and heck of a risk whether it would actually work or not. But it, but it, nonetheless, it's 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 interesting, but some of the stuff yeah, for heightened tension, Frank Sutton is a key character played by a really good actor, William Sadler, and he can play appropriately big when he needs to. He was in uh, the Shawshank Redemption and some other films too. And he's, he's a, a character who's blackmailing Jennifer Connelly. I thought he was fairly two-dimensional. And he would kind of pop up conveniently out of nowhere. But we do see that type of character in film noir. It's really the actor's fault. It might be a little bit on... uh, This was based on a novel called Hell Hath No Fury by Charles Williams. There may have been a couple of things with some characters that were lost in translation. As I understand it, the original cut of the movie is four hours long too. So maybe some of my problems with some of the secondary characters would be sorted out in a, a really elaborate but probably hard to watch director's cut or rough cut of the film.
4: It's a film that does at times feel like that might have happened, particularly in, in the case you mentioned. But you know, in a few other places too, I do remember thinking, "Oh, well, that's convenient." It's not unbelievable that that character is there. I'm wondering why is that character there? You know, like, I, I want to know. Oh, wait, now we're onto this. So never mind. You know, yep. it was just that kind of a quick thought. Not even enough time or uh, significance for me to want to write a note about it. But
0: why does he happen to be outside the car dealership after Harry? Has- has uh, had sex with uh, Virginia Madsen in, in the car and th- there's a key uh, kind of sex scene which leads to a murder towards the end of the film too where and I, there's some plot contrivances there involving information Don Johnson doesn't have that I'm not sure how he would get things mixed up there's a shoe involved so that sort of makes it make sense but just the whole cutting and it's a very rushed type of uh, a scene but it was pivotal to the whole film and it needed to be kind of worked out that way. I just don't know if it was successfully executed. These are picky points though. I, I, I really think this is a movie that not a lot of people know about and I would like more people to, to hear about the hotspot. So it's it's a very yeah. positive review, but I like both of the movies we're talking about.
4: Yeah, on the whole, I, I think this is a film that uh, its little problems don't make it fall apart compared to Strangers on a Train.
0: We should probably get on to the, the points here and I, uh, I will let you go first. So how many points are you giving Strangers on the Train?
4: Strangers on the Train, I would give seven. That's a lot more than zero.
0: (laughs) Better than zero, yeah.
4: Yeah. And 13 to the hotspot.
0: And I actually, it was a tough one. It was almost exactly, but I thought I have to make a decision on this one. I would actually give 11 points to Strangers on the Train and then nine points to the hotspot. So 18 points for Strangers on the Train and 22 points for the hotspot. So that means Strangers on the Train has to leave my movie collection. Tom, what am I to do with strangers on the train
4: so which of your siblings likes hitchcock the most
0: i honestly don't know what either one of them feel about hitchcock i i know michelle's trying to like get rid of stuff you know (laughs) maybe maybe i'd give it to craig i guess
4: okay there you go That, that way you can still see it occasionally when you visit
0: I'm with Kelsey Moser, who we heard from recently on our uh, When Kids Kill episode. Very good episode, in, in, in my biased opinion. And Kelsey has kindly agreed to be part of this uh, experimental 50th episode. Mm-hmm. Has been tasked with looking at two films, The Hotspot from 1990 and antlers from 2021 very new release compared to some of the older ones i normally end up reviewing on this show so welcome back thank
5: you thanks for letting me come back
0: oh you're always gonna be welcome (laughs) so we decided to talk about we went in order of release so we're gonna start off with dennis hopper's the hot spot don johnson getting himself into all kinds of trouble (laughs) in this uh, small town what did you think about it
5: well i will say like i definitely like it took me a little longer to watch it. I kind of watched it in chunks. It's not a genre that I tend to gravitate to. I mean, like, I thought that I really like the music, actually, like the soundtrack, the more I watched, the more I was paying attention to it. And like, it's just constant. And it's really good. Like, the soundtrack was really cool. I don't know, I really like the music.
0: Jack Nietzsche, who also did mm-hmm. the probably the most famous score was for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, I think likely had a, a pretty good relationship with Dennis Hopper. Because of course, mm-hmm. just going back to the 60s and and 70s and so opera probably got him uh, on board to to do the music for the film and it was harder harder to get into
5: I think I just I don't know if I have I think I was watching it and it was a lot of stuff like a lot of the things that I was seeing I'm like okay you got the femme fatale, you got like the the guy who's he's got the femme fatale love interest but he's also got like this young thing that he puts up on a pedestal who is everything good and and sweet and he just needs Needs to get this one break and then he can be with the good girl. But yeah, it's I it just didn't hit for me. And it very well could just be that I don't know some subtleties of the actors did great. I think they did fantastic. I love Jennifer Connolly. I, I guess did. I just I just wasn't as into it as, as I would be other yeah. movies. It's just not a genre I
0: gravitate to, and that's okay. It depends on like film noir and how much you've yeah. watched. This was the neo-noir where
2: yeah. what that was
0: suggested. In those old mm. black and white films, mm. but it had the archetypes from from those films. It could be a lot more explicit. Well, before. it's funny
5: you watch, like it's funny you say that. So I like I actually was um, talking about movies with someone that I'm still kind of getting to know or whatnot, and I was like, oh, I have to watch this movie. Like we should watch the trailer, and the trailer was like so much. Oh, I'm like, oh, this looks like I'm watching some softcore porn here. Lovely. That's what. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> so it was kind of, it was funny.
0: This this was uh, based on a novel. He apparently like desperate to get uh, both both of the both of the women in here, Virginia Madsen, who I think is is an awesome actor, and Jennifer mm-hmm. Connelly who's been a welcome presence in movies since she was a child, essentially, and she oh, was yeah. pretty young. She was pretty much the age of her character. As I understand the novel, the age difference wasn't as much of a factor. But here, Don Johnson, I think he was maybe in his early 30s or something uh, playing this Mm -hmm. role. Now, like, again, this this was a thing that people didn't really care that much or pay that much attention to in the 80s, 90s. Now, the age difference between when it is kind of that romantic uh, or sexual angle. We we, we keep running into this when we're reviewing movies together. I
5: know, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: Lens on a, a 1990 film, so, so I can understand modern audiences having some trouble with it, and it is a, wow. a slow start. I mean, it's a slow burn of a film. I like that, but mm. maybe it's because I am very comfortable in this genre, and if it's mm. outside of your what, what you normally, yes. I, I I get.
5: Yeah, I guess I, I think like when thinking of some things to say about it, I just kind of felt like I wonder if there's some things that I'm missing. Because I, you know, like when you watch a certain genre over and over again, you can kind of pick up on some subtleties or whatnot. So I kind of felt like there were sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't know if, if there's something I should be picking up on here or whatnot. I did like with both of these films, I did like the little nods to small towns. Like I work in a very small town and not that it's the same small town. Like, again, I'm not saying that either one of these communities is exactly like the small town mm-hmm. I work in but you, you know like just the, the the little nods to it like mentioning like well my neighbor's gonna see that you didn't leave kind of thing like everyone just kind of taking note of everything or like like the bank the reason he can rob the bank is because all of the all of the other tellers are the volunteer firemen and they gotta nice. go and everyone goes to watch the fire I'm like oh absolutely I can see that happening like one of the just everyone being spectators for everything like i um not in the community I work at but one nearby I remember it was such a big deal when like there was someone who had an RTM house like their house was being moved on and it was the the school just stopped what they were doing and all the kids went out to watch this house be placed yes of course. so just that whole idea of eyes everywhere you know, like I think there were nods to small town life that I just I really did enjoy. You know? And that's
0: where the, the, the bank robbery is g- genius. I mean mm-hmm. this, oh for sure. This guy is our, our anti-hero. He's so intelligent in a way because he knows small town life. Mm-hmm. And he knows that if this fire can be created as a distraction, that everybody's gonna be so focused on that, including the the bank manager. I, I really like how that Happens, but then the police are not completely stupid because they mm-hmm. they're like oh the stranger in town. What's different going on now that he becomes the number one suspect when this right. when this happens? Of course, mm-hmm. so he has put himself in the position where he could be the hero and rescue uh, rescue this person. So I mean, I I, I really liked it. I, I think the more you watch it, of course, the more you'll kind of pick up on all of the different elements of the plot. It's a it's a it's a double-edged sword because you'll understand it more and maybe appreciate it more. Yet you'll also See how convoluted some pieces are. A few mm. characters just happen to show up at a convenient mm. moment. What mm. I do like is that the three leads are very intelligent characters, and, and it's mm. quite well performed. Jennifer Connelly, she just has this—you know—it's it, such a it, like such a, a tough act because Virginia Madsen is gets to play all kinds of out there things. I mean, mm. she's stripping naked in that mine or whatever, mm. and and Don Johnson knows that this woman is horrible for him and is trying to mm-hmm. stay away but he cannot help himself whereas connelly's just kind of is, is there has all this stress and this other backstory which gets explained mm-hmm. kind of later film but is mm-hmm. is there just kind of like looking at this strange man maybe looking at a way out of this dead-end town and uh is just kind of fascinated by him so i believe the the romance right mm-hmm. even though there is this age difference between certainly the two actors and
5: I like I said. I think that the actors were great. I think that there were so, there were parts of it that I really liked. I just I think it did feel long. So that's I mean, and that's okay, right? I just kind of chunked it up a little bit, right? I would find a couple places to pause and come back. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, and also when you're when you're kind of trying to watch it and you're having to analyze it too, but you're working and sometimes can't keep your attention the whole time then it can be a, a little bit tough i think that's biased a mm-hmm. few of my reviews over the years on the show when i'm like oh i need to get these six done and this just happens to be watching on one of those days when it's just not uh, clicking as much so oh, for sure uh, yeah I- like, I said,
5: like i said it's a genre that i don't tend to gravitate towards mm-hmm. and that's okay there's gonna be movies that i am drawn to that you're gonna be like uh oh. Oh, what the heck, right? It, that's yeah. what I love about them. They're so subjective,
0: right? It is very subjective. But yeah, I mean I think this would be a, a good one like to give some time away from and maybe sure. some other Come point back. in your life, like take a look at it. The reason it's it's kind of a lot of the movies that I are part of this show were ones that didn't quite fit in a, a traditional episode, right? And so it ended up kind of putting them together a little bit and keeping my guests in mind as well but also the the hot spot is a movie that you know not a lot of people kind of remember from 1990 Mm and so i wanted to focus some attention on it and highlight it well
5: like and that Tubi, oh my gosh there's so many good old movies on there. Lots Actually, of stuff.
0: yeah, they've if got
5: like really good old cartoons, like old Don Bluth cartoons, and those are like some of my favorites. So even just like I wouldn't have downloaded it had I not needed to watch, had I not been searching for this movie. So
2: it is
0: wonderfully free, and if you can put up with a few commercials, <laughs> I mean they and they They're do so
5: them. minor though. There's so I've few done. of them, and it's one. It's only one at a time.
0: It's very manageable. They give a bit of a warning and they they're smart mm. about usually a key transition moment mm. that commercial will will uh, will show up. So it, it's not bad. I mean, there's some movies that I honestly can't find anywhere else that are on Tubi. I think if I hadn't have gotten my hands on this uh, Blu-ray of uh, the Hot hotspot, uh, Tubi <laughs> would have been likely the only place I would have been able to to find this movie. So
5: I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because that's uh, I tried to find it online and that's the it's only place.
2: Not, not an easy
1: one to find for sure. Yeah. But. What is storytelling? Storytelling started with our indigenous people.
2: Can anyone give me an example of a myth?
4: Or a story they're afraid of? Lucas. What's going on? We found a part of a man in the woods today.
2: Part of a man?
4: I guess the other half was found in the mine. All this has got to be an animal, right?
5: No animal that I've ever seen.
1: Something is going on with Lucas. These drawings belong to a student of mine.
2: This is what was in the mind. It's a diabolical spirit.
0: Excuse me, this is a myth. For you, yeah.
2: Oh, no. He's not your responsibility.
1: He has no one. He is my responsibility. He'll come for me. He needs me. He's here.
0: Probably our next one is a little bit eas- easier to find, hopefully, because it's only mm-hmm. really whatever six, six, seven months old. It's a it's a horror movie that I remember noting when it came out in theaters. Didn't know anything about it, and it wasn't. Until it came out. I heard people talking about it for sure, Twitter and that kind of thing. But it wasn't until it sort of I, I saw it at Walmart, saw saw the Blu-ray, and I thought, well, it wasn't too bad a price. And I'm gonna give this a day in court, whatever. Worst case, I put it up on the show. <laughs> and then we uh get rid of it at some point. For that. And I, I've now watched it twice. And the second time, I appreciated it even more. Like what mm-hmm. you were describing about watching the hot spot, and the first time I watched Antlers, and I wasn't in critical mode. I was just watching it to watch mm-hmm. it. I was a little bit tired, and there were a couple of things I, I liked it enough, but I, I just wasn't. Mm-hmm. Picky. Some some subtleties. This time, when I was a lot more focused for reviewing it for the show, I appreciated it a lot more. And I think it's it's going to catch on. I think it's going to be a bit of a cult film for for years to come. And it, and not that it's a, like a over the top or or goofy horror movie. It's quite actually grounded and down to earth. Set mm-hmm. in a, a small town in in uh, the state of Oregon, and a middle school teacher played by uh, the wonderful Carrie Russell uh, from The Americans and Felicity and, and, and several shows, and her sheriff. Brother, played by uh, Jesse Plemons, who tends to show up in like every movie that you see now, and they uh, become embroiled with a very enigmatic student that she has. Who in the town they kind of know the father as being some sort of a meth dealer, and he's been you know in and out of prison type of thing. No mother in the picture. That there's this other brother who hasn't been going to school, and they don't know quite what's the story with him and what's going on in the house and some of the dark secrets. Lead to a terrifying encounter with an ancestral creature. And they start off with very much we're going to be grounding this film in indigenous lore. They proceed, of course, to tell a story which features predominantly white characters, but we do have the wonderful actor Graham Green shows up as the former sheriff. And I'm happy to see him in any movie. Most famously he got an Oscar nomination for Dances with Wolves many, many years ago. Same year that The Hotspot came out, actually. But he's a little bit of an Exposition machine, and he's giving the background of this creature where they're fi- finding these these antlers, and it's quite obviously it's not a deer or anything like that. And there are people being found in the woods later on in the house that have been totally destroyed, like almost like their skin has ripped been ripped off. It, it provides you the gore, it provides you uh, a lot of creepiness. I think I did, even though I had seen it before. There w- there was a, a jump scare moment, and it, I don't know why this. I honestly don't know why this got me because I was like I won't say which character but a character dies and I know this character Mm is dying at this particular moment but just the action of like the antlers going through this person's body at that particular moment. I, I actually like, jumped in my chair. Very effective, well directed by Scott Cooper. Uh, Guimero del Toro was connected, put his name on, on the project as well. And and so I think overall, this is this is a very good horror movie. Certainly not perfect. We keep running into these movies which are set with schools. Every time I see a classroom in one of these movies, I'm like, that has got to be the greatest class that you would ever have in your life. I mean, there's, there's a little bit on the on the nose there's this red headed bully, right? He certainly gets his come oh. up, which, again, I sort of liked because it's fiction. The- mm. It happened. I wouldn't, in real life, be happy with. But, but like, why he had to be a redhead? I, I don't know. But. <laughs> No, uh, but he just, he just looked like, uh, you know, one of those typical bullies that you would see. Oh, yeah. Even with that, this is a pretty good class that she has. Like, at, at one point, I think they're supposed to be grade seven. They're 12-year-olds. Uh, I don't know if you noted what they were watching. Like, it, it's a, a film, like, uh, it was, like, on a projector. Like uh, Yes you know what yeah. they were watching? Oh gosh. I didn't pick up on it the first time.
5: When you are so. saying it, I'm like, I I re- I remember, but I'm not I'm bl- I'm totally
0: blanking. It's a film version of Othello.
5: <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Yes. Ah. Yes. Oh. yeah, Desdemona's
0: death scene that's playing yep. while well, this other yep. stuff is going, which oh, is my god. I mean, they do so many cool things with the cinematography and that sequence mm. and all that. But why are they studying Othello in this class? And where do these kids come from? Because other than this one boy, they're like magic, and they're supposed, oh, to, yeah. be, supposed to be a, a down and out town, lots of people laid off, mm. and a lot of difficulties. That part is not all that realistic, even though they try to. This is a more grounded horror movie, even though it yes. is a, a creature feature. So anyway, that's me poking a few holes at a film that maybe I shouldn't be thinking that hard about. Mm. But if you're a horror genre fan, I don't see you not liking antlers I I just I I see that being a possibility it it is is a solid film a victim of COVID I think it was shot like two Mm -hmm. three years before it was actually released Mm -hmm. but I'm glad it was released and happy that I have a copy of it here
5: so I will say so I I really did enjoy this movie I thought I agree with you I like as a horror movie I I do I really do wish that and I wonder maybe it's a wonder I wonder when you're borrowing or when you're telling the story of a figure from another culture I think it's really important to understand the context and understand the story behind it and really pay respect to that culture. I wish that maybe there was more representation other than just you know like there there is the whole trope of like you have the one person from that culture being like the sage wise man kind of thing and then then ducking, and that's the only that's the only um interaction with it I do I wish there was more of that that kind of made me think I think it's important to be aware of right that doesn't mean that it's not a like a really well done movie but I, I think that it was something that I I took note of like there is it's telling a story that is not sorry not not there but like it's it's telling another culture story that respect is really important I wish there was maybe more representation but I also really like Carrie Russell <laughs> like,
0: uh, really, she's always good and uh, yeah. she, she is spectacular in this yeah. role. Jesse yeah. Putz, I, I liked him enough He's the sheriff because nobody else wants a job in this town and he's totally mm-hmm. in over his head. He doesn't yeah. he doesn't have a clue what to do. Mm-hmm. And then he has both of both of the siblings have have this past and this mm-hmm. this abuse that has happened. For yeah. Both of them, that they both have dealt with in different ways. For mm-hmm. Carrie Russell, she she went mm-hmm. to California. Now mm-hmm. she's come back and living with her brother and back in her childhood home. And he had to stay behind, and so there's some guilt. There's some nice complexity there. Jesse Plemons' character is so passive aggressive, and, and it, it, it's subtle. It's I like how it just kind of sits there, and then this incident happens, and then it brings up some stuff for 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 both of them, in particular like this notion of Carrie Russell trying to kind of save her. Student. This is her favorite student. She's trying to. They have this this scene where she's followed him because she's curious about what's going on with this kid, mm-hmm. and buys mm-hmm. him an ice cream. And, and at the end of it, the the nice touch in the writing there is mm-hmm. is the boy says her, "Don't follow me anymore." This whole time I knew you were following me. You didn't happen mm-hmm. to just be by the ice cream place. So there's 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 a lot of, of good stuff there. I just overall, yeah. I like carry Russell's performance was
2: my oh, yeah.
0: favorite about the the creature design and the in fact I think this is another one where I, I I'm starting to complain more about digital it's not the worst sometimes it looks okay other times it doesn't look great
5: I think that the fact that they did kind of go for that maybe it was just the TV I was watching it on that like they left enough up to the imagination you'd see the antlers or whatnot very rarely did you get like a full-on whole shot of it like and I think that that's probably best I think that that would have been a little bit of overkill if they had a lot of like pan out and you get a whole vision of the the whole thing like that probably would have wrecked it a little bit. So I was fine with it. I thought that the um, the crawling out, I don't know, like it's it's definitely it has its moments of over overkill for sure. But it wasn't any like anything that I noticed more than a lot of creature features, right? I mean, there is an element of you won't see it, right?
0: I, I thought I saw like more than I would have wanted. Yeah. But what I saw just just the effect took me out of the movie. But when we have the actors and we kind of got mm-hmm. that effect with like uh, kind of their, their backs started glowing and like kind of the hybrid of the human being with, with this this, this mm-hmm. creature. I, mm-hmm. I thought that looked good. That that seemed to work well. Yeah.
5: I really like, I mean like there's there's a lot of like references to like addictions and you know like this is oh it's so bleak in that town. Like it's the town is struggling but I did. I think what I appreciated is the fact that like you know that okay so this is a kid who's family this is a family who has struggled. This is a family who like clearly the dad is making meth he's a drug dealer right but i appreciated that there were moments of like he wasn't an irredeemable like horrible like i just don't give two shits Kind of thing, Um, like I don't know, like when when the transformation starts, the you can tell that there's love. I think I like. I think sometimes, like you know, we portray families that are struggling with addictions and with with that as parents who are struggling as irredeemable and like terrible people. But you can tell that there is his first thing when he started getting sick was he locked himself away, and so there's. I think that that was something I appreciated. With I think just like having worked with families that maybe. Are going through similar struggles. It doesn't mean that they're terrible people. They're struggling and they're doing their damnedest to. There's that doesn't mean that there's not a lot of love. It was a it was a moment I really appreciated. Just that hit co- kind of close to uh, some experiences I've had or seen in some years. So I I thought that was good and I
0: appreciate that. Yeah, I, I think that that whole piece is very yeah. well handled. Oh, well, I, just I, like I,
5: the gut wrenching. Like they're trying so hard. You got this kid who's trying to like, and it doesn't it doesn't take away from like the fact the kid has clearly like there's stuff that's going on that's not okay right and like the you have a kid who's there's that parentification right like he's taking care of his dad and his brother kind of thing right that that's not okay they did a really good like that portrayal of like addiction and struggling families was i think handled really well
0: yeah in both movies the portrayals of the towns are are, Mm. are i have a feeling like antlers two would be a thing that would happen Uh, yeah i don't really want it to (laughs) It certainly left. Maybe some people have grown a little bit and not to ruin the ending with that moment, but I it does make sense. It kind of looking mm. at every everything else that happened beforehand. Mm-hmm. And I just hope if if all the same people came back on the whole, it would work. And so I think like a lot of the things I have are pretty nitpicky. This is gonna be a tough one. This is a tough one for me, but how I set this episode up for <laughs> five of six movies, so it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. Are, are you ready yeah. to go to the points or Mm-hmm. Anything else to say about antlers? No,
5: I just, I think that it is too bad that it came out during COVID because it, it is, it's a good one.
0: Yeah, I think it was a, supposed to be a 2020 release. I'm sure it was yeah. probably taught or uh, shot in uh, twenty nineteen. It's out there now, and I think the uh, audience for this movie will grow. Let's get your points
5: for the Hot Spot. I'm sorry, Jason. I, I I'm giving it. I'm giving it a seven.
0: So according to my math <laughs> skills, Antlers is getting thirteen. Yes, it is. All right. This you gave a me a cool. horror
5: movie and one and 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 but the, a horror movie I really like, and I already knew I really like
0: Hot Spot. The distribution of points was was similar, but just reversed almost. Mm-hmm. I gave the hotspot Spot. 12 points and I gave Antlers 8 so this is how close it is by two points antlers has 21 points hotspot has 19 so antlers i am keeping and the hotspot has to leave my movie collection and you get to decide what i do with the hotspot you
5: get to decide what you do with the hotspot go to a small town bar and leave it in the bathroom or something like that go to a small town bar and leave it in the leave it leave it on the sink counter that's that's my challenge yeah that makes
0: sense yeah all right yeah i haven't been in a small town i don't even know if i have been in a small town. <laughs> but yeah when, when it happens you know when
5: it uh, happens yeah
0: when it happens
5: yeah
0: no oh man it belongs in a small town it feels like something small that would town. be discovered exactly. in a small town bar so well thanks again for uh being on this uh particular segment and i'm sure we will hear from you again well welcome back carmelita valdez mccoy for a third appearance on the shelf shedding movie show and contributing to this 50th episode of the show and i i appreciate as always your willingness to uh come on the show and i'm a busy person you are the uh the go-to guest for so many podcasters out there and i love talking to you through this process but i also love uh hearing you on a whole series of podcasts
3: it's so good to be back jason thank you so much i'm honored to get to contribute to this 50th episode celebration and i congratulate you on 50 episodes it's awesome and i'm i'm so happy to be back talking movies with you
0: as we go along i keep kind of playing around with the the format here and so this this cool idea of having five guests and talking about six movies and only one of them in the end will stay in my movie collection so it's getting difficult so and this one's going to be a difficult for sure calling this monstrous drug addicts i don't know if that's the most respectful term for this show but uh we're going to take a look at a very recent movie scott cooper's antlers and to me underrated 90s movie the addiction starring a young lily taylor and i think we decided we'll talk about the addiction first
2: nice night
4: Stop me. I
3: haven't been feeling well.
0: You're not kidding, you don't look so good.
1: Dependency is a marvelous
5: thing. So it does more for the soul than any formulation of doctoral material.
2: You can never get enough, can you? But you learn to control it. You learn, like the Tibetans, to survive on a little.
1: There is a dual nature to the addiction. It satisfies the hunger which evil engenders. But it also dulls our perception so we are helped to forget how ill we really are. We drink to escape the fact
2: We're alcoholics. We're not evil because of the evil we do, but we do
4: evil because we are evil. What would you like to confess? God. Forgive me.
3: One of these. I think is highly rewatchable and I just revel in it. And the other, it was my second time watching it and it was, it was hard to get through just because it it sits very heavy. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah. So I think this is a great pairing and I mean, we'll we'll just jump into it. Right.
0: Starting off with the addiction this was this is one that i think i heard about i probably saw it reviewed on Siskel and ebert and it was the time for these like really kind of cool edgy push your limit indie films in the 90s often featuring some wonderful character actors from new york and i was i always would kind of hear about this okay what's this you know black and white vampire new york movie and i didn't i wasn't able to see it it took a long time before i could get my hands on it, and and, uh, and to see it, and I, I wish, I, I, again, I wasn't old enough necessarily to see it in theaters. I don't think it lasted very long in theaters around here. And for a little while, it was, it was another one that was, that was kind of difficult until Arrow released this uh, kind of wonderful Blu-ray of it. And when, when I eventually saw it, I loved it. I On my my friend Larry Parson's show, Rank and Review, we talked about like our 20 favorite horror movies of the 1990s. I put it on my list because it, it's just the idea of it stuck with me, and then it was just as good, if not better. And I'll be interested to see if this is the one that's tough to rewatch or easy to rewatch for you because the more I watch it, the more I get out of it, and the more I love it. So as much as I loved it as kind of... Uh, I was intrigued by it when I was younger now I like love it because it is so so clever Abel Ferrera controversial filmmaker a, a bit at the time. This was a follow-up to uh, a, a very famous uh, NC-17 film, The Bad Lieutenant, one of the great Harvey Keitel performances, and pairing with the same screenwriter, Nicholas St. John. And I think the two of them did really good work together. I listened recently to the t- commentary um, that uh, Abel Ferreira did uh, uh, on this, uh, and he credits a lot of the the intellectual aspect of it, the ideas, to uh, his screenwriter Nicholas St. John, who I believe has passed, uh, passed away now. Lily Taylor plays a New York philosophy student. She's a grad student who encounters Annabella Sciorri, an actor I just absolutely love. And I, I, I love her work. And she was just batting a thousand for me in the 90s. And then later on, she was on The Sopranos and just a, had this killer uh, season on The Sopranos. Encounters her one night and gets bitten by her. And then soon discovers that she is a vampire and then she has to kind of figure out how to negotiate her life but she has this incredible uh, craving for human blood and encounters a whole series of, of wonderful actors along the way in the, in this this journey. Several things kind of going on to me this is very much a 90s movie. The, it's called the Addiction It's obviously an allegory I think in particular for uh, for heroin addiction and we have some some scenes where blood is being put in a needle and being injected into her, her arms. And, you know, that addiction grows and it grows among all the people that she then. Infects and they become vampires as well, and leads to a very, very bloody climax, which is fantastic. This might be a little bit slow moving for modern horror fans until it gets to that point, but it is well worth it. And yeah, I I mean, there's probably a few flaws or a few things that I would pick out about it that are like there are with every movie, but I'm an enormous fan of the addiction. It uh, just gets better and better. And there's certainly a a few actors we'll probably want to touch on that I haven't mentioned yet. Uh, And one uh, very famous one in particular has a I don't know if you call it an extended cameo but uh, it was Christopher Walken this is not goofy funny Christopher Walken I think this is quite serious but very intellectual he wasn't you know he's not like a monster or anything but he's also not kind of hamming it up that much for uh, for the camera like he sometimes does yeah so anyway uh, you can tell I'm a fan what are your thoughts on the, the addiction
3: well we are birds of a feather on this one my friend Good. I love the addiction I enjoy rewatching this movie. I always get more out of it. I it's interesting that this movie is so 90s and then at the same time ageless. You know, because sometimes a thing looks really dated and they're just it's just hitting you over the head with all of the details that place it in a particular year a particular decade but the way I the artful way in which the addiction is shot and I think too the black and white also lends itself to this I recognize the style of the clothing I you know the music there's some very recognizable 90s hip-hop that plays throughout you know as she's walking through the streets of New York the way New York looks looks very Mm -hmm. much of that time so but it's of course it's a 90s film like it looks like the 90s but i there's something so it doesn't feel dated i just like i feel like I'm there i don't feel like i'm necessarily engaging in nostalgia even though there there is a nostalgic quality to it i think it's it's just such a beautiful film and and there's there's this subtle journey that really and you mentioned the pacing like we get it takes a long time to get to like the big gory set piece but we do get to see this ramping up of the transformation and i i think earlier in the film it it feels a little almost like a like a horror thriller because there is this sense of of dread as the transformation starts to take hold i'm a huge fan of lily taylor I absolutely yeah. adore her fell in love with her in say anything as Corey, the yeah. heart book and yeah. breast friend that writes songs and plays the guitar at parties. I just, Corey is my favorite. Saw her in Mystic pizza right around the same time. So I've been a fan ever since then. And I have followed her career. I'm always happy to see her and, and yeah. this film i think she really shows what she can do she has to show us the transformation in a way that draws us in she she has to be able to deliver she's a philosophy doctoral student there's a lot of there's a lot of pretentious sounding <laughs> conversations in this yeah. film yeah. and to be able to deliver those in a way that isn't that doesn't turn the audience off is a skill and she's able to do it her i think the kathleen character so comes across as you know she's got a bit of a chip on her shoulder and then once she's transformed into a vampire it's like that callous predator meets the arrogant philosophy student and it's like the perfect melding of aspects to put into one character into this vampire i just i find everyone's performances feel very naturalistic like nobody's super hamming it up which would be very easy to do there's some moments where it's you know lily taylor's kathleen character with uh edie falco's character gene i believe where they're like where she finally goes to feed on gene and and there's like this heated exchange and it feels very very much like the kind of argument that would happen between friends when one friend's life is going off the rails and the other one is trying from a place of caring to intervene. I think too, in addition to the, the addiction aspect, like the, the metaphor there, there's also kind of something this film's trying to say about just suffering in general and, and the hurt that people cause to each other. And, and there's all this talk about evil and sin and the Mm -hmm. origins of that. And, and the Kathleen character kind of reminds me of crime and punishment, the Dostoevsky novel, you know, this, this idea of like, can you justify murder? Can you justify killing? And, and so it's, I really love this film. I think yeah. it's beautifully done it's so rewatchable and and when you do get to the big climax the way that it's shot the way that it's edited, the sound there's like this echoing effect to the sound in the room and it's just, it's it feels like you're in the middle of the melee, it's just, it's beautiful I love this movie.
0: And it's interesting kind of in the scenes after the climax, it, it becomes very heavy on uh, the Catholicism, and this is something that Nicholas St. John worked with uh, in *The Bad Lieutenant* as well, and, and uh, in some of the supplementary materials, you see this this little bit of a, a debate between—I f- I forget who it was—who was with Ferrera and Lily Taylor was being interviewed about the, the kind of the concept of Jesus wiping away the sins of this, these evil acts that have been done. And the, and the one guy was saying, no, Kathleen should not be forgiven. There's no no room for forgiveness because of the horrible things that she does. And cites in one of my, uh, and I think it's a very, very scary, cold sequence there, with uh, Catherine Urbe, who I, I, I love that actor. She's in a film, another underrated 90s, I guess that's the theme of my life, a movie, Stir of Echoes, which I, I reviewed very, very fast favorably on the show and and basically just gets traps this anthropology student and bites her and just for her own need and like a totally innocent person and can somebody like that be forgiven and it's like wrestling with the good and evil and that's very much what uh those movies come down to yet people like thought they were just so because it pushed the limits of sexuality and violence in their films that it was like kind of immoral films but they're actually like a little bit more connected to, to me, uh, some very interesting theological ideas. These films honestly deal with religion and Christianity and Catholicism uh, in a a really unique way. And that's something that I just really didn't pay much attention to when I first saw it. I was paying attention to the style. The photography is great. The performances, what's going to happen? How how far are we going with this allegory? This last time, I paid really close attention to those scenes that happened after the, the massacre and I thought like there's a lot of great stuff towards the end too and right up until that last scene. I hope more people kind of uh, discover The Addiction. It's maybe not the easiest movie to see, but it it's well worth people's time.
3: And it's so worth checking out and I would say to anyone who who might have seen it in the mid to late 90s, if it's been a while, this movie is so rewatchable and I guarantee there's always more to pick up on in this film. Mm-hmm. All the little nuances. And like you talked about like it throws out some big ideas that the kind of stuff that I too really love to dig into and think about and and ponder and wonder okay what is this film trying to say and how do I feel about it I I just love that
0: so uh well I'll do a shout out very quick one scene role basically is this missionary Michael Imperioli who is also on the sopranos so we have mm. Edie Falco you know it was like watching them just a few years before uh, 4 years before the sopranos started up and just seeing like they they look so young young, they look like baby. E. D. Falco in yeah. particular so young in this movie. But Michael Pirioli has the, was dating Lily Taylor at the time that they made the movie, as as it turns out, but has this this great kind of one scene role, handing out these religious leaflets as as Lily Taylor comes by <laughs> and uh, yeah. So I, I just I just love that guy. I mean I, I like seeing him pop up in things.
3: Yeah. It was great to see Paul Calderon in this. He plays the yeah. professor. I always yeah. love to see him. There's also oh, there's a small part for Fredro Starr, who plays hmm. one of the young black men who's who becomes one of her victims, but he's yeah. like one of the guys who's like hanging out on the street. That guy was a member of the rap group Onyx. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. like it's sprinkled with all of these faces that you recognize from that especially from that time period but just people who continue to work it's just it's really cool
0: there was some connection to Def jam and russell simmons i i, I think with, he was a producer producer with the film and so that's where like the, kind of the soundtrack came from i think it, it works well yeah it, it, it all works well some of that music is like really great, and then I just, in general, what are your thoughts on uh Christopher Walken's
2: performance?
3: <laughs> I I really enjoy him in this. I'm always, even though I know he's in it, and I've seen the movie several times, it always, it still always surprises me when we finally get to his scene and he yeah. kind of pops up. i go, like, oh, Christopher Walken, because one could argue that his character is a little tacked on, but it's Maybe. I really don't care. Yeah, I
2: don't care. A lot. It's such a joy
3: to see him and to have him as this experienced, more experienced vampire who is basically going to turn the tables and prey on Lily Taylor's the Catherine yeah. character, the younger, less experienced vampire, his presence in this one reminds me a lot of the prophecy.
0: Yes, same year I think they came out.
3: Yes, right around the same time. Yeah, yeah, and like the, the yeah, black it's suit. Back,
0: really dark jet black.
3: But I, I love that. And and to your point earlier about his performance is not one of his more over the top performances. That's one of the things I love about the prophecy is mm-hmm. that I mean, yeah, he's got some really funny lines, but. It's... Like it works. I think it's just the right amount of walk-in in that film. And I, I feel the same way about him in this one too. And,
0: and it's funny from the, like the clips I saw on the advertisement when I was young, I thought he was had a, a really large role. I also remember thinking of that, that like Pulp Fiction came out and I would see clips that he was in it. And, but it was like true romance as well. I mean, he comes in for a scene in each of these movies. And I, I just remember him, his part so well. Well, And it's really cool what he does. But that idea that he kind of fasts and he controls his urges and he finds other ways to get his blood fixed. And he, he just, you know, kind of walks all over her and sees her for, for what she is, is, just being so new and so young and impulsive. And he finds a way to kind of trap her when she was looking at him and thinking of him as her victim of the night. It's such a cool sequence. Yeah, I, I, I'm thinking it was probably in the original screenplay. I don't think it was just brought in just so they could have walk but yeah and a uh, nice nice interview with with him as well and uh and, and ferrera on the supplementary materials yeah you can tell he, he just he just still loves acting and uh, like he has his line about you know as an actor you never retire just the phone doesn't ring anymore and i was like really the phone's not ringing for christopher walken i mean if <laughs> I, I i'd be happy to have him in my movie anytime i don't care he could do whatever he wants and it's gonna be great so yeah. right
3: he's amazing yeah, I think the yeah the phone should keep ringing for Christopher Walken for as long as he yeah. he wants to answer the call. Cause yeah, yeah he's great. He's great here. This we're, whole we're, cast and it's yeah. I can always really appreciate when a director has actors that he ends up working with time and time again. You can tell in the finished product that you have a real rapport and like a real collaboration that's happening. I think you feel that in this movie and and Ferrera would work with some of these folks again and again and again. The writer, the cinematographer, the composer of the of the score, some of these actors. And I always love to see that because I think it says a lot about what's what we get in the finished product is so good in part because of how they were able to collaborate behind the scenes. And I, I, I always kind of look to that when you have a director that gets people to keep coming back to work with them.
0: Yeah, again, during the commentary, there was somebody there who was kind of asking questions. I don't think that was that necessary because Ferrer was a bit of a talker. And this guy would ask him these questions. He'd kind of shoot down all of the questions. And, and then at one point, he's like, shut up, shut up. I'm watching the scene. I haven't seen this for years. <laughs> oh, oh Will is amazing. Oh, see, you know, you don't have to do anything. You just put the camera on her. And look, it's like a magic trick that she does. You know, <laughs> the ad- admiration he has for his cast and all the people he works with, That's that's why they would have kept coming back to work with him and you see that with those great directors and i know you're on the other the the other coast there but uh i'm I'm such a new york guy so i also am a bit of a sucker for new york movies even if they're not very good but this one is is excellent this is a very new york movie but a very 90s very vampire but yet kind of ageless and the other thing i kind of got was a big factor in in talking about the 80s and the 90s and like this blood and the exchange of blood and all that stuff is very much the aid's epidemic was at the the forefront of people's minds too so that's another piece that i think is permeates this film as well as the heroin and crisis which i think foolishly some people thought was had kind of gone away and we now know is as you know, as prevalent as, as ever here in 2022. So
3: absolutely. You think the vampire
0: stuff is is done, but there's always some unique way to look at it. The nineties were very good for this. And the addiction is one of the most uh, original vampire films I've seen, but it's about so much more as well. No,
3: definitely. I, I mean, I am a huge vampire film enthusiast. I love vampire films of all stripes. This is one of my favorites. It's a great vampire story, and there's so much subtext. There's so much under the surface to dig into. So yes, very much a vampire film and more. It's it's great. I love
0: it. So we're now gonna fly out of New York City and into the future to the state of Oregon, which was actually British Columbia, where it was shot, a town I've been through called Hope, British Columbia and where Antlers was was shot. And I uh, read up on that today. It was the same town from Rambo, the first Rambo movie.
3: Mm, first Blood. Oh,
0: yeah, first blood was was shot there too and it like yeah, yeah, it does it does look so similar. It is a bleak horror movie and it is on the surface it feels like a creature feature but uh there's a lot more going on. So Antlers uh and so I'm guessing this is the one that it's tough a tough rewatch for you, mm-hmm. um, you know. Like you haven't lived with it as long as I have with the addiction. But I think I have a larger list of criticisms of Antlers than the addiction, where I just gushed over it. I mean, the addiction has has a couple bits and pieces where there's a few things that were a little bit over edited. Perhaps we kept getting the same shot of Annabella sciori attacking uh, Lily Taylor, but those are are minor quibbles. I, I have a few things with Antlers that I'm still wrestling with, but I think it is still a solid horror movie and kind of one of the best horror movies to come out of 2021. And there were quite a few good ones last year. What are your thoughts on Antlers?
3: So I, I think this is a good film. I think it's beautifully shot. I think... The cast gives great performances. Carrie Russell, Jesse Plemons, even Jeremy T. Thomas, the little boy, like
2: yes. all great performances. All. Yeah.
3: Uh, Graham Green, was always nice to see. I think what happened for me on the first watch, I I don't think I went into this fully prepared for how heavy the dramatic elements would be, and I think the subject matter, like I I was caught off guard that first time. And I, rem- I remember the first time I saw Antlers. I I think I like I rented it on VOD or whatever and after watching it I was just kind of like just kind of sitting in my living room just kind of sitting with it and I I I just had this urge to like hug a child I am not a parent Um. so you know you hear people talk about I wanted to hug my kids I don't have kids is like I, someone needs to lend me their kid right now because <laughs> you know it's the subject matter of this film dealing with the trauma of abuse and neglect dealing with the effects of drug addiction and poverty on the family the systemic issues when teachers and law enforcement are seeing day in and day out the struggles of families and and not having the tools or the resources to help them like that just it hit me it just it was very heavy for me to watch something about. I used to work in the nonprofit world on the administrative side of organizations that trained social workers or did behavioral health. So a lot of this stuff was like, oh, that's very real. That's very real. <laughs> and it makes me really sad. But I will say, I mean, the, everyone gave it their all and gave these great performances, which is for me to feel so to just be so sad. It's like they did their job. They yeah. told that story. It's Okay. you know yeah. so it was very affecting i just wasn't mm-hmm. prepared i don't think going into it to feel that way i will say the creature design in this is awesome the wendigo looks really cool i think all the effects look great the transformation of the wendigo is great like did, did you so there, i think there's a lot uh i thought it
0: looked pretty good there's worse out there oh sure. yeah 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 what did you think of Jesse Plemons? I know he's he's been like the it guy for a while. He, it seems like every time I turn around, he's in another movie. I,
3: I think he's a great actor, and I think his character—you know, this this sheriff who's kind of doing what he can, but the problems of this community are so much bigger than than what his department can handle. I think he did a pretty good job of conveying how torn how torn a person would be. Like it's hard not to get apathetic if you're in a situation where it feels hopeless and like there's nothing to do about anything. And so I, I think he gave a great performance. I I liked the scenes between himself and Carrie Russell and their sibling dynamic. Pick yeah. up on the emotion between them without a lot of exposition. You could pick up on how difficult the family dynamic is and how much kind of family baggage is between the two of them. So yeah, I think he gave a great performance. Performance. beautiful cinematography throughout this yes. film these beautiful gorgeous landscape shots and there's scenes you mm-hmm. know where they where the car is driving up through the mountain and there's the woods and it's just it's just beautiful a lot of really great night shots the way that some of those night shots are are lit and you get the flashing lights of the patrol cars, trees behind the night sky, just really beautiful.
0: Well, and I, I'm I'm thinking of again the lighting and when when they're at the house and kind of in that that the shed and the police are investigating that, but inside the house you're seeing you're seeing the lights from the. The, car, the police car, but it's dark otherwise. And it just gives really good kind of setting, using the setting that he had and shot on location, obviously, and creating the atmosphere and the suspense that's needed for, for this film. Amy Madigan's a very good actor. I, I've, I've liked her for years. I'm always happy to see her very famous from Field of Dreams. She plays the principal. I thought her character was a bit underwritten and it was almost a bit of a thankless role. Like I thought... Yeah. Like she's in there, and she's a really good actor, and she could be used a bit better. I could probably extend that to Graham Greene as well. Like he has a he has a couple interesting scenes. He's a, the retired sheriff, but and he kind of brings in a bit of the exposition, and particularly the uh, the indigenous perspective. But I I kept kind of thinking to myself, is he brought in solely for that? Purpose. You know, he's another actor right, who I think could be given more to do other than just to be in an exposition machine. Kind of Agreed. A, a plot device. And so I, I think it's, it's, the story itself is trying to be respectful of indigenous culture, yet it is primarily Caucasian characters. Yes. Uh, That drive the plot. And so, again, this is a more recent film, so I feel like I can pick on it a bit more than something that's, uh, you know, a bit older, so.
3: Yeah, something 20 or 30 years old, we might Mm -hmm. say, okay, well, there was less awareness then that's not cool. there should have been
0: awareness but there wasn't but you know
3: right we can understand the the historical context of when things were made yeah this coming being a more recent film it does feel a little bit like graham green's character warren yeah he kind of they bring him in for his native wisdom and Mm -hmm. and that's Pretty much it. I, I would have liked to, if they were going to have his character in the film, then yeah, let's make better use of him. But
0: I mean, in comparison to having Christopher Walken show up for an extended cameo, and it provides information, but it doesn't feel like you're you're being given the exposition as much. And I think it was just slightly better writing. And this is not a badly written film by any means, and it's based on a novel. I guess in the novel, Carrie Russell's character is supposed to be about twenty three years old, so uh, they, they they changed. ages again maybe based on who they could get in the film and I think it works a little bit better to have her be the age that she is and teaching the students and being a little bit more living through a few things and having a little bit more wisdom and being able to spot this kid who desperately needs help.
3: I do think this is a good film and there are a lot of artfully done things here and great performances so no don't want to take away from that there is there is something I will post to you because I in looking at the credits of everyone who worked on this film so one of the co-writers of the scre- screenplay is the person who wrote the short story that this is based on nick Antosca. Yeah. he was one of the main writers on channel zero that sci-fi television series i don't know if you caught that
0: i haven't watched that no.
3: Ooh, do it track down channel zero that it was an anthology series horror mm. excellent and it got me thinking like i wonder if the story told in antlers would work better as like a mini series or some kind of broken up into a television series of some kind, whether yeah. a mini series or an ongoing series, because I I felt like some of the really heavy things these characters were going through, if it, it felt like yeah we need to we need to spend some time there, this is this is worth exploring, and then as we get towards the end, some of the stuff with the actual creature, some of that felt like it was a little rushed like we were running out of time and I yeah. wonder if a story like this, if maybe part of what I'm picking up on is like, maybe this is a story that needs to be told in a different format. Like it that might do better in a different format.
0: I don't know. I'm, I'm curious. And I didn't, I didn't look into if they are thinking about an antlers too.
3: That I don't know. There's definitely an opening for it in the story. Yeah. The the ambiguous ending.
0: Yeah. And it doesn't look like there even in pre-production and maybe it's because it was shot so long ago and it t- was such a process to get it released and they, they kind of left it there suddenly the thing they suggested in the last moments which i won't necessarily reveal but it, it wouldn't make a whole ton of sense if like the, the little kid now is suddenly 17 18 years old the follow-up to what they were suggesting was was about to happen so but there's th- something like it kind of reminds me of it's an interesting town like thinking about like something like a twin peaks as a tv series or a show i liked quite a bit in the 90s picket Fences. It doesn't have to be as quirky as that, but, but I think it's it's a great setting for a TV show. And, you know, if you could get, I mean, Kerry Russell is, is very much an acclaimed TV actor. I don't know, Je- Jesse Plemons has done some TV for sure. Breaking Bad, of course, I think that was right. a huge break for him. That's when I started to see him in everything if you could get him to commit to it. I mean, that's an interesting alternate idea for this one. I I hadn't thought of it at all uh, until you brought it up. But it also would help for the viewer to have time to also deal with and process everything that happens. Because you're right, it's like an onslaught of this horrible stuff. And then we're kind of left in this kind of sad place. And like, okay, so what do we do now? Yeah. Yay, happy horror movie. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as I think, well, it's a horror movie. Horror movie should be awful, but at the same time, there right. are fun well, horror and- movies
2: as well. So you know, I
3: and and I think this comes up more and more. Or maybe I'm just more aware of the discourse around elevated horror or people questioning what is horror and what's not horror. And this is definitely a horror movie. But yeah, you know, it's heavy on the dramatic elements. And and I think you know this stuff is so subjective. Like <laughs> other films, I know that that some people find kind of intense. to... To sit through maybe weren't I didn't have such an intense reaction something about the subject matter of this and the way it was presented in particular just really hit me hard and and why that happened with this film and not some other films that also deal with some really sensitive topics I'll never know like it's just, it's just one of those things that happen and there might be other viewers who recognize that these are you know sensitive topics but maybe it doesn't hit them as hard and maybe they're able to enjoy this in a way that I'm not because it doesn't yeah. feel as intense nature think- of the beast well and I, and I think you know we kind of gushed over the addiction and and the, the conversation is a little more complicated with antlers but I, I think too the way we feel about movies can be complicated mm-hmm. I can look at a film like this and say there's all these great aspects artfully skilled aspects to this film that I can say hey this is a good film it's a film that's harder for me to, to watch so I'm, I might not revisit it for years and years but I yeah. think I would watch it again eventually and i think if anyone asked me hey did you think that was a good film i would say yeah it was a good film
0: we'll get to the points the addiction how many points are you gonna give the addiction
3: i'm gonna give it oh gosh i've been let me tell you i've gone back and forth back and forth giving and taking away this one point you know what i'm going with my original gut feeling i'm gonna give it 15 points
0: that means antlers would have Five points? Correct. Want to hear something kind of cool? What? We had the exact same point totals. 15 nice. 15, 15 five for Antlers, and no disrespect to Antlers, but... No, it's a good film. And 10 for Antlers.
3: I just love the Addiction so much, and the thought of le- giving it less points... If taking away even just one point from the addiction ended up down the line, having this pulled from your collection, I would be beside myself. I could not yeah. accept that because I just and love that, it so much.
0: Introducing it into this show was a risk, but, you know, <laughs> and I've done that with a, a few movies that I, I like, including Antlers, like a lot. I just kind of thought this would be a good match, these two together, and wonderful insights for both films as always. So now here's Antlers, Blu-ray of Antlers. Uh, what would you like me to do with it?
3: Ooh good question well don't donate it to the school where you work because i don't <laughs> i don't think i don't know that it's appropriate viewing in the class i don't know does your local library take donations
0: they haven't been i i called okay been a recommendation from some of my guests uh, uh, over the years and and they and they yeah. weren't
3: and so yeah maybe just gift it to a friend okay
0: i will do that Someone
3: you think would enjoy it
0: love that idea well again as always thank you for uh, being on the show no you th-
3: Jason, so much for having me back, and congratulations again on fifty episodes. Thank you, thank
0: you, and I, I, I'm sure we'll hear from you again. And as we reach the end of this epic fiftieth episode, where we've had six movies reviewed and with each guest i have lost another movie so ultimately this will determine spoilers for you larry this is the last segment this will determine what the surviving movie is from this pack of six that that i've ended up looking at and i guess i jumped the gun by mentioning your name here but it seems fitting that this last one is larry parsons the host of the great podcast rank and review which has inspired this podcast and uh, a guy i love talking movies with every time so welcome back to the Shelf-shedding movie show, and this segment I'm calling allegorical auteurs in the sense that we're looking at two films by some fairly prominent directors, and films that, if they're taken at face value, some people might not respond that well to them. But if you kind of figure out some of the greater messages that they are trying to uh, convey, then it can be, in my opinion, a more rewarding film-going experience here. So we're going to be taking a look at. Mother, directed by Darren Aronofsky. Again, not to be confused with the Albert Brooks comedy, Mother, with Debbie Reynolds. Very, very different films, of course. And then we're going to take a look at at The Addiction. And so uh, I think we're going to talk about The Addiction first. So we'll go straight into it, unless there's something you want to kind of say in general about these two films.
2: Well, I did want to say that I find them correlated on a couple of, like, interesting levels. I think you could both call them art. Horror, for one. And I think that both of them, uh identity sort of springs from the director really strongly. Like, I would argue that Abel Ferreira and Aronofsky both, whether they'll admit it or not, do court controversy and do, like, to challenge and upset their audience. So in that way they have a lot in common. Although the movies are both very, very different. I thought it was just interesting that these two had that in common. Specifically talking about the addiction, I went through this phase in the early 90s where I, I I feel like I really wanted to get into Abel Ferreira, but he was this super frustrating filmmaker to me because for every good movie he made, he made one not very good movie and one kind of terrible movie is sort of how it felt like to me. But then every now and then you'd get like a King of New York. Or you'd be surprised by something when uh, he did a like a '90s version of The Body Snatchers. Uh, like it was a shock that he would even do that. And uh, I don't know, I I kind of he seems like an interesting guy. I yes. think that for me, The Addiction went right down the middle of the line for me. As far as able for it's super low budget and it's hyper stylized, but because of his name, he's got a really cool cast here, and they're all sort of young, and it really felt like time travel watching the movie. <laughs>
0: Yeah, like seeing, they look like kids. It is really, Lily Taylor, even Walken, Christopher Walken is now an old man, and this is kind of the Walken I think of as the 90s, 70s to 90s Walken, who comes in there and is a middle-aged guy, but just kind of does this little monologue and steals the entire movie. So, um, yeah, I I,
2: think that. Walken should have done more horror, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, the prophecy, of course, he hasn't played villains a whole lot like lately. But um, he sort of became a bit of a comedian at some point along the way, or uh, a bit of a, a caricature of his image. And I, I like this Walken when he would show up, and I was just like, oh, I'm a little bit freaked out back in <laughs> back in uh, '95 when The Addiction came out. I'm a big fan of The Addiction. Once upon a time, we did a uh, uh, best horror movies of the '90s, and I again these days I reflect on. The movies that I put forward for those shows for uh, rank and review and I think some things might change but I I, I don't think I would take the addiction and replace it with anything else but at the time I saw it I had watched it once in kind of a not not the best viewing situation since then I have this wonderful Blu-ray and have this commentary and all this information and each time I watch this movie I get something new out of it. Originally I like the idea of a vampire story which is also an Allegory for drug addiction, and in some ways, the 1990s, the the AIDS epidemic. I think there is a little bit of a connection in there as well, and and so maybe maybe that's sometimes that that kind of cerebral horror is what I gravitate towards. That said, you know, I'm preparing this other show, and it was all very very heavy horror movies. And when I got to the Friday the 13th entry in this show, it was just so nice to be able to just watch a, a traditional slasher and let's have you know, fun. I think Deep about it. So, yeah.
2: Well, I mean, I I completely back your play as far as, you know, it's an unsubtle allegory for uh, drug addiction. But it's interesting how it's more troubling to me seeing Lily Taylor actually shoot up with blood than bite someone. We're so used to vampire movies, or that's what vampires do they bite people on the neck. So we accept that. But her injecting herself with blood is disgusting.
0: Yeah. That was a big thing in the 90s, these needle scenes. Famous one in, in Pulp Fiction as well. You know, all the stuff in Pulp Fiction when they came out, the, that had its controversy. That was the scene that the most people told me that they just could not watch the needle, you know, the shooting the heroine. I don't have a problem watching it, but yeah, it is, you know, it is a little bit icky or whatever. But I'm not know,
2: admonishing the movie or anything like that. It's just funny how the injections are more troubling than the vampire bite. Mm-hmm. And okay. I do think, like, if you had a picture in your head of what an Abel Ferreira vampire movie would be, it, I think, might be a little bit grimmer and a little bit more sexual and a lot more violent than this. I remember mm-hmm. when I first watched it being surprised that it was comparably tame to some of the material that he'd explored in the past. And with vampires, you are given carte blanche to explore sex and violence. Like, it's it's implicit in the subject matter. So it's interesting to me that he didn't choose, well, I mean, he did not not go there, but like it wasn't excessive, and it certainly wasn't you know exploitive in that way.
0: And I think part of it, and this again, I didn't get before. Like there's some connections of Bad Lieutenant. Both movies have this huge Catholic meaning behind yeah. it, and uh, with with Lily Taylor's character, after all this evil that she does, could she possibly be redeemed and be saved by Christ and by by God? And then there's a touches quite a bit more on that in the third act. Again, maybe that's not those who are looking first straight-up vampire movie might not be as into that idea but there's some big ideas in the film which I think are are very effective and in the age where we had so many of those Anne Rice copycat vampire movies which was the transition into those Twilight ones which were way worse than even Interview with the Vampire it was nice to have like something a little bit original or kind of its own thing you're right it's it's not there's a bit of a massacre that happens towards the end part of it might be because it's shot in black and white that it doesn't feel as bloody or as gory as, as it would have if it had been shot in color. But I still like the ideas. I like the style. Uh, the black and white photography works well for me. But some stuff's very stylized. Annabella Sciorra, uh, actor I really like, she infects Lily Taylor pretty early in the film. And that's that shot is kind of, it's done as a like a, her coming into the camera and infecting us in some ways. And maybe that lessens kind of the impact or the horror of it. But I think most of the horror comes from watching Lily Taylor's character just completely dissolve into this kind of girl next door type into this kind of this evil presence, but it's, you know, initially for survival, she goes from
2: really sweet to really foul. Yeah.
0: but then she comes across Christopher Walken, and she thinks that no. she has a mark Sorry, or whatever. I
2: lost there at the end, could you say that again, brother?
0: Just saying about when she encounters Christopher Walken, she has no idea what she's dealing with because he operates on a completely different level. Uh, because he's been a vampire for quite a while, and he's learned to kind of pick and choose. But he completely ravishes. Her and, and and that that kind of is a, a key scene. I don't think I realized it the first time I saw it. In in shifting where she goes in that third act when she plans the the party after she graduates from her PhD program. Basically, seemingly normal, good person go into. This this evil, and again, it is out of survival. But like the Catherine Ur- Urbay section is is so nasty. Like how she traps her and then just attacks her, and there's nothing that this character did to deserve this. And it was just so manipulative. And then we we've really seen somebody who's lost their moral compass. You know, this wasn't just kind of finding somebody random on the streets. Like she befriended her and then invites her back to her place. And then and then attacks her. So so th-
2: those parts of the Thank movie are much are, more personal.
0: Yeah, it's very very personal kill there. So so it sounds like you're lukewarm on it. I like it a bit more. But was there anything else that
2: uh, you kind of want to say about the addiction? Well, I mean, as far as being lukewarm on it, I think this is higher on the scale of my Abel Ferrera lists But I do think it qualifies as art horror. If you like arty horror for sure. <laughs> if you're looking for a Friday the Thirteenth fun roller coaster ride. I don't think I would recommend this. I think it's mood-specific. If you want to watch something a little bit challenging, and especially with some 90s nostalgia to it, absolutely. I do. like. I, it's a thumbs-up review for me. I'm just not foaming at the mouth about it. And I, I feel that way about a lot of times about art horror. Sometimes I, both of these movies that we're talking about could be falling under that mantle of uh, elevated horror, which I... I <laughs> I kind of resent that whole terminology, yeah. that whole they discussion that is like, oh, cause other horror is not really, it's it, so do. Do well, I get a little bit of waft of that cheesy pretension here? Sure, but I get it in Mother too. But some people love that. <laughs> you man. I'd, I'd rather watch Jason Voorhees just do his thing and uh, not try to justify or apologize for it. Yet,
0: yet I do think this is this has rewatchability. But yeah, you have to be in the right mood for it, I guess. And you know, if it's not your thing, then it's not your thing. But I think we we both with the addiction knew what we were getting into uh, ahead of time. And also, I think with our our next movie, Mother.
5: We spend all our time here. I want to make a paradise.
2: She redid all of it. Every last detail. And she breathed life back into every room.
5: Are you happy? I love you.
2: Please, come in. Hello.
5: Hello. He's a stranger. We're just gonna let him sleep in our house. Hello. Hello. Did you know he had a wife?
3: (gasps) He has pictures of you in his luggage.
2: What were you doing in their luggage?
3: they want?
1: You give and you give
3: It's just never enough. No!
0: So... My my intro to Darren Aronofsky's Mother is this came out a week after It Chapter One. And there were promos for both of those (laughs) movies. And I was like thinking this is going to be the greatest fall for horror ever. Because I think a lot of the promotional materials for Mother suggested this is going to be the scariest horror movie you have ever seen in your life. And based on that marketing, I can perhaps understand why there are some people that really despise Mother to the point where it got Razzie nominations. But when I saw what they were doing, and sure, it wasn't the movie I thought I was paying my money for in theaters, and then having a little bit of time between viewings and watching it again, I think it's a very good film that has, uh, it's considered lesser Aronofsky, but there's a lot of good in it. And one of the things that I'm a little bit confused about in this is any sort of hate that was in, uh, unless it was kind of like the celebrity fatigue thing directed at, at Jennifer Lawrence. She's married to Javier Bardem, and these strange people keep coming in and invading her house. And we're seeing over the course of time as she uh, gets pregnant and then she is going to be a mother and is trying to protect her unborn baby from a ton of chaos surrounding the celebrity of her husband who is this famous poet that everybody when they discover where they live wants to come in and and interfere in their world I think you could read this as a criticism of the celebrity TMZ type of uh, culture and the fan culture and the lack of privacy for people who are famous but there's also so heavy religious allusions in here. And I know Darren Aronofsky's said that he is an atheist, but it's interesting. He makes Noah, he makes this. And I don't know if, you know, I feel like uh, the Bible is at the back of his mind with a lot of stuff. I'm I'm interested to see his movie later this year, The Whale, that comes out, which is supposed to be a, a movie that brings Brendan Fraser's acting career back to the forefront. But talking specifically about Mother, I have mostly good things to say about it, yet I would be lying to you if I could say that I understand everything in it. And in some cases, I don't understand why some actors participated in this movie. In particular, uh, Kristen Wiig, who is an actor I really like. Very funny, but she's she's also good in serious material. But she has this kind of nothing role there as I think she's Avier Bardem's agent or something. And she's kind of adding to this chaos that happens in this house. We watch this, this beautiful house essentially get destroyed and it goes into some really dark places towards the end and then we get that plot twist at the end saying okay we need to be thinking about this this is a greater message the other one reading of it is an environmental message about mother earth and the damage we're doing and torturing mother earth because we're ignoring all the signs that the earth is sick too so i think if you can have three four readings of of your film then you're you're on to something but i get if somebody was going for an entertaining horror movie where they don't have to have their thinking cap on, Mother might not have been their cup of tea, but on the whole, I like it. I'm not sure I love it because I maybe I'm still frustrated by it. And like some of the movies we've talked about before, where sometimes it feels like there isn't an answer. I I get the sense with Aronofsky there is an answer to Mother, but I'm welcoming a different opinion if you think this is in that pretentious realm or not.
2: Well, again, I have a, a that sort of similar relationship with Darren Aronofsky because I I do think he. He really gets off on provoking people and he wants he wants you to remember his film and he wants it to kind of scar you a little bit. And sometimes it really works. His first two films especially, I think Pie and Requiem for a Dream, they are rattling but they are fantastic movies and they kind of justify their comments. getting closer to the Lars von Trier territory. And I'm not just talking about making us uncomfortable and, and the torment of a woman, but the really tight close-up camera shots of her face, like two-thirds of the this movie is, is Jennifer Lawrence's face, right? And it feels like that really invasive handheld camera that von Trier would use in like *Dancer in the Dark* or uh, well, any name your von Schirer. That's isn't uncomfortable because, as you know, I am not a big fan of Lars von Trier. Unlike Lars von Trier, I think that there is something to navigate here. I personally latched onto the ecological thing the most, as far as we have a home, we have, and we have this house, and we need to take care of it. And we don't. And even though it's like we all sign that we shouldn't do it, we do it anyway. And even though it's obviously getting worse, we ignore it and it gets worse on top of it until it's too late, until it's past the point of no return. Jeff Lawrence seems to be the one most of are subjected to. My problem with mother is that it's you know troubling and isn't that it's it's challenging. It's that it's intensely unpleasant. I think that is really the downfall. It wasn't that mother was so terrible. It was the exact movie that her fan base did not want to make. The <laughs> Hunger Games or any kind of appealing romantic comedy that the few people that of the theater. Man, I, I sort of get it. I like to be entertained by. Me. Like I understand that movies like this have value. Movies that have something to say have value. But I don't like feeling yelled at, and I don't feel like I'd walk out of the movie like I just came out of the office and I've been yelled at, and that. I do confess a little bit how I feel when I walk out of a lot of Aronofsky's moves, I would put Mother right in the middle of his canon of movies. I think it's over the over the end, sort of completely nor is it anywhere near as if to we Were dream. So it kind of falls in a in him. But I think he's direct that I sometimes wish we would make us for how she wouldn't always be focused on hurting us.
0: Now you cut out a little bit, so I'm gonna to try to summarize some some of what I heard, just kind of saying that he's using just- gained too much with those close-up shots of Jennifer Lawrence and that this was a movie that Jennifer Lawrence's fan base didn't necessarily want and that this is kind of in the middle of the Darinovsky canon and that he just needs to, you know, not shout at his audience as much as... As he does in Mother, does that that kind of cover what you were saying? Yes. Yeah. yeah so I mean, I, I I think you know I think we're in pretty similar places. I I might defend Lawrence's performance. She has the weight of the picture on her shoulders. There's very little time where she has a break, which actually adds to you know the tension of the film. And, and so I think she does a good job of carrying the picture, I, whether it's one that fans of Jennifer Lawrence wanted or not. Uh, I could see her clinging to this project. Uh, the notion of people invading her private life to profit off of it, and profiting off of her celebrity, that angle on, on the film. And it's also just a, a really nice big role for her. She's called on to do a lot in this film, and I think she carries the film well, and it's it's not a bad performance yet. She was up for a Razzie for Worst Actress. And I just don't think that makes any sense.
2: Well, the Razzies are kind of a, a strange thing to exist anyway, and mm-hmm. The Shining got nominated for Razzies, you know? I think yeah. time really will tell the tale. I think she's yeah. fine in the movie, I just think that the overwhelming pleasantness of the movie is off-putting to people. And I mean, I I think that's pretty deliberate. I love Ed Harris, and I love Michelle Pfeiffer, and I I get the feeling like the only reason they're in the movie is because it's, you know, the director draws that kind of talent. It's nothing that any of them have ever really seemed to have interest in in their past, right? Like, uh, they're they're fine in it. Everybody's fine in it. It's just, it's an overwhelmingly unpleasant experience, and that's not something that I particularly would revisit a lot. I mean,
0: other than Lawrence, I think everybody's kind of secondary I was really excited. Ed Harris, Michelle Pfeiffer, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer doesn't work a whole lot. I thought, well, is this going to be one of those, you know, finally Harris gets his Oscar. Finally, Pfeiffer gets her Oscar. This is going to be one of those epic. And it, it just did not go in that direction. And he really didn't give them a, a whole lot to do other than to be kind of weird and creepy in the first act of the film. And then to always be kind of, you know, up to a point around into the second act. It's a strange film. It's maybe not for everyone, but I would still give my, my, my thumb up and, but the Jennifer Lawrence performance and some of Aronofsky's ideas that he's balancing to me are enough, to th- those are great, but I think the ultimate result is
2: okay to to good. It's very individual and like it has a strong identity. It definitely fits in his catalog. But I, I like I say, I'm starting to grow. I, I sort of like right. feel like I, I I understand where he's coming from, and uh, I, I would like to see something different from him, honestly. Yeah,
0: we'll see. We'll see what's next here. This was the follow up to Black Swan, and some of the right. techniques used in Black Swan, he's using quite liberally in this film, but to lesser effect, I think. So you have twenty. 20 points. I have 20 points for the two movies that we're talking about here. So I'll start with you. How many points would you give it to The Addiction?
2: I guess I'm going to favor The Addiction, but not dramatically. I will give it 12.
0: And that's eight for Mother. We are very close. I mean, we've never been this close on rank and review, unfortunately. I I gave the addiction a little bit more. I gave it 13 and then I gave seven to Mother. So essentially 25 points for the addiction, 15 for Mother. And I'm happy that I'm keeping the addiction in my collection. But Mother has to go. So uh, what would
2: you like me to do with Mother? I'm pretty sure Lee Beckman wouldn't have this one. And he is a film appreciator. This is a tough movie to just give to someone. Like, would they say thank you for this? experience <laughs> I, I know so lee if lee doesn't have it for movies he's like the kid mikey from the 80s tv commercial he'll, he'll eat anything <laughs> so i say we give mother to lee ben. <laughs> okay
0: that one's good Thanks for doing this here and being part of my 50th episode. And everybody, I shout it out every episode, but everybody needs to check out Rank and Review. We have a a show, which I'm sure will be released before this episode is released, on uh, the late, great Phelps Seymour Hoffman. I'm sure we'll be talking about uh, future episodes where I'm on your show and vice versa. Thanks, man. Thus ends the 50th episode of the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. I want to thank my guests once again, the wonderful Kurt Fitzpatrick, Tom Ratzlaff, Kelsey Moser, Carmelita Valdez-McCoy, and Larry Parsons, and I do apologize for some of the audio difficulties with uh, Larry's segment. And I also uh, want to shout out two guests who run podcasts that were part of this show, Kurt Fitzpatrick, with A Lifetime of Hallmark, Larry Parsons with Rankin Review, And also Matt Bledsoe's wonderful podcast, Film Feast. Please check out all of those shows. Friends of the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. And uh, I look forward to uh, producing uh, more episodes for you in the not-too-distant future. And again, I still have the addiction on my shelf, but five movies have left my movie collection. And some of them are pretty tough to let go of. But that's the nature of the show that I've created. And I hope you enjoy it and continue to recommend it to the movie be fans in your life. So long.